Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Guess what day it is, huh? Hump day! Good morning, happy hump day from the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Carrie Davis, Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. And quite a busy show coming up, too. We're going to tell you about that as we go along. Good morning, Carrie Davis. How are you doing? Good morning, sir. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. So we've been doing this uh, almost three months now. Yeah. And you're still finding your way in regards to getting up in the morning <laughs> and, and, and extraordinarily, extraordinarily reliable, always happy when you come in, which is great. I, I love that. It makes my life a uh, happier life. But you're still adjusting. So tell us Indeed. about the CPAP adventure last night. So I, I've been, I have a CPAP machine, which I, if you have a CPAP machine, you have sleep apnea, you know that it is horrible sometimes. Mm-hmm. You don't want to use it. Uh, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes the machine makes me feel like I'm actually choking in my sleep from the machine. So that wakes me up. But I've decided over the last couple of nights that, you know what? I'm going to try this machine out again. I'm going to give it a whirl. And I have slept so amazing the last couple of nights. I woke up at 1 a.m. thinking, okay, all right, time to go to work. And I looked at the clock and I was like, oh. It's only one? I got four more hours of sleep. Okay, I can do this. All right. And and so just trying to, you know, figure my way out through this thing. Uh, the coffee... I told you the the amount of coffee that I drink and the le- the the amount of sleep that I was not getting is a terrible combination. Mm-hmm. I, I I have had some times where I'm like, oh lord, I'm it's about to go down. I'm I'm about to go down, <laughs> and I was able to hold it together. So I'm gonna have to dial it back on the coffee, mm-hmm. get a little bit more sleep, and things will start to even themselves out. Okay, I'm impressed. we gotta, <laughs> we got to keep abreast of this situation. All right, here's what we got coming up on the show. It'll be fun. 8 o'clock, Brett Bielma, head coach of Illinois. And by the way, they take on Michigan this weekend. Bernie Federico with his weekly visit coming up at 8.15. And then a lot of fun in the 9 o'clock hour, former Rams head coach Mike Martz will join us. He's also of the 33rd team. He's always got some great opinions. Dusty Blake, the new Cardinal pitching coach, will join us at... 9.15, and then at 9.45, Danny Mack, Dan McLaughlin, talking some Cardinal baseball as well. So busy show coming up on the heels of last night's 90-84 to victory for St. Louis U over Memphis. And if you went to bed before the game ended, I don't blame you, but SLU had an 84-70 lead with 3.56 to go. A 14-2 Memphis run trimmed the Billiken lead to 86-84 with 42 seconds left. But they hit their free throws late in a 90-84 victory over the Tigers. And the, both teams went over if you're a FanDuel Sportsbook devotee. Well, yeah, you definitely enjoy that portion mm-hmm. of it. Uh, we talked to Coach yesterday about about his team. And, and when they played uh, Evansville over the weekend, they, they allowed them to get back into the game. And you're kind of seeing that as well last night. They are a very good team. They have a lot of talent. And when you are young, and, and, and when you're young, meaning college-aged uh, young, you have a lot of talent. Sometimes you tend to let your foot off of the gas and you let people back in the games. And that seems to be what's happening. Hopefully they can learn from it. They were able to get wins even though they allowed that to happen. Um, and, and so, you know, it should be exciting for them going down the stretch, see how well they're going to be able to play. CD, this is part of basketball. And, Matthew, you can weigh in here, too, because you were at the game 
they have to find a way to hold the fort while Yuri Collins isn't in the game. Because if he's not in the game, on both ends of the floor, they seem to have real problems. Yeah, I thought one of the best instances of the game when it was uh, in the second, Yuri came out uh, for about 30 seconds and then checked himself back in. And he was asked mm-hmm. about it after the game, and he pretty much said, yeah, yeah, there are some instances where I don't really even look at coach. And he's like, I didn't even really need a breather or water. So <laughs> I saw what was going on on the court. He goes, I walked myself to the scorer's table, and that was that. So, I mean, that's just what you have when you have Yuri Collins. So they're trying to get it figured out. They're playing a little Fred Thatch because he's consistent and, and, he, and he's a veteran. They trust him. And there's so many times you're watching the game where they just give it off to Javante Perkins in the timeline mm-hmm. to start a possession. Anyhow, so that's the plan right now when Yuri's not out there. But still, I mean, teams are trapping Yuri. I mean, Memphis yep. was trapping Yuri and doing a good job at it. So that, that that says something about their athleticism defensively. And good experience. I was going to say, you have to learn how to deal with pressure, backcourt yeah. pressure at some point. So it's good to get it started early against a, a long athletic team like Memphis. Yeah, we were talking to Coach Ford yesterday, and I told him that the, the way he described Memphis, it sounded exactly like his team also. They they sound like mirror images of one another. And so to face an athletic team that can move and, and, and can you know set up that, that full-court press and you have to figure out how to break it, uh, it, it definitely bodes well going forward because you have that experience. And hopefully this team is a team that can make it into the tournament. Like I said, I watched them play Saturday. I thought they were a very good basketball team, coached extremely well. Uh, to your point, Rock, uh, when when Yuri is not in the game, they, they do have to figure some things out because he is the catalyst to get the whole thing going. He he plays the game at such a pace and with such ease. It was extremely fun to watch because he, he knows he's under control. He knows where he wants to go. And he's not looking for his shot all the time. He's looking to get everyone else involved. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think if they can figure out when he's – taking those two-minute breaks, however long those breaks are, how to hold the fort when he's out of the game, they'll be a much better suited team. Billikens will take off for Ucasville, Connecticut, and participate in the Hall of Fame tip-off tournament against Maryland on Saturday at noon, and then they'll play either Miami or Providence on Sunday. So looking forward to that. Meanwhile, the... Missouri Tigers were also in action last night, and Mizzou lit up the scoreboard with a 105, 105 to 80 win over SIUE at Mizzou Arena. Mizzou's 4-0. SIUE drops to one and two. Graduate student Demoy Hodge with 30 points. He's a graduate student. Came from Cleveland State with Dennis Gates. Had 30 points, and the Tigers win it 105 to 80. That's another team that's fun. Boy, they get up and down the floor. Rock was shaking his head when you when you announced the score. I, I, I'm intrigued to know what is going on in his brain. What What's wrong? You can't be letting up 80 and 90 <laughs> points to, to the, the you can S- when to you SIUE score 105. And I'm trying to, th- I'm blanking Linda on who Wood. the. Uh, Lindenwood. Lindenwood. And in the first game, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the team, but it was they were playing their first Division One game and they scored like 87 points. It's just, listen, lighting up the scoreboard is fun. The fact that they can score is positive, uh, especially when you look at what's going on with, with um, the transfer Isaiah Mo- um, Mosley and why he's not getting a lot of minutes. But. You, you got to figure something out on defense. You got to stop teams, and, and you can't keep play, playing at a breakneck pace 100 percent of the time because the SEC teams of the world will beat you if you're doing that. If you're letting 80 hey. points scored from SIUE at times, quit scheduling the Ohio Valley, baby. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, the Ohio Valley apparently is just the offensive power hot, the, the juggernaut. I didn't expect. John Moran, check these Kempom ratings because apparently they're just stacked. Well, they're averaging around 90 points a game, Rock. They they, they seem to be 90. Was it 92, 93 points a game? They seem to be playing at a high level and playing extremely fast and getting a lot of shots up. You look like you're staring at it. What are the three? Uh, what are the three? 
numbers they've allowed in their games? Oh, yeah. Well, that, we're not talking about that. Yeah, 91 I, versus uh, Southern Indiana. First, 85. First division one game. 85 versus Penn. <laughs> they gave up 53 to Lindenwood, oh, and then God. they gave 80 to SIUE. Rock, you might not remember. <laughs> Should be you remember. They're, they're Loyola Marymount. Oh, yeah. Paul Westhead. Uh, yeah. Yep, they, they, they allow points, but they score point, but more. Gonna, and, and that's the, uh, Randy, that's how you win the game, right? Yeah, as right. long as you score more than your opponent, it doesn't matter how many you give up. As long as you can give up 110, if you win by and you get 111, that's a win. And right? everybody has fun. Everybody's happy. I tweeted about this last night because I had not expected it. We brought up Frank Haith yesterday off the air, I believe. And then, Haith. I, and, then I'm sit, and then I'm sitting there as they announce the starting lineups for uh, SLU Memphis, and they get through the Memphis one, they go, assistant coaches – and they name a couple one that Frank Haith and I'm like I did not expect I did not remember <laughs> that he was on the Memphis coaching oh, staff I had no idea and so I had to sit there and be like oh well that's a weirdly timed thing and now we're talking about Frank Haith again so I mean it's Mizzou basketball I, Frank Haith got announced yesterday in an NCAA basketball game I'm in a weird headspace about he, the Tigers Frank Haith actually had a decent run at Tulsa I don't yeah, think we paid no. much attention to it but he had a nice run there and he, I mean he paved the way for Kim English yeah. He had Kim English on that staff. I know Kim, Kim English obviously did great work with Tennessee and things like that. But, I mean, he got Kim English into that staff, and, you know, he's taken off and yep. took, took over George Mason now. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, he did a lot of good things. It's just I, I it's hard. It's just the coincidence of, of making a joke about Norfolk State and then eight hours later yeah. hearing his name announced in, a, in an arena, it was a little jarring. Mizzou has a stretch where they play Kansas, a four-game stretch where they play Kansas, Illinois, and Kentucky in those four games, three out of those four games. It's going to be a – Interesting run to see how that pans out. Bet the over. So they're four and zero now. <laughs> so and you get to December, you'll be undefeated already. So you might get them up to like what twelve and zero. Completely forgot about the twelve and zero. Completely forgot they played the pen game. Pen, yeah, gave up ninety one points. Listen, they won listen, by listen six. Here. I'm not criti- Listen, it's great that you're four and zero. I love it. You sound like you're criticizing. Rob. I am. Beca- I am. Well, I'm, I'm about to because <laughs> because the first because two of the first three games for SLU were against Murray State and Memphis, and the four games you already heard for for. Mizzou, I'm just saying, you know, maybe change up the schedule a little they bit. They got four wins, man. They got yeah, Mississippi they Valley, Coastal Carolina, Houston Christian coming up. My Lord Almighty! <laughs> <laughs> they got Wichita State. They are always yeah, that's a that's better. pretty good team. Then that South, was, so, was, then SEMO, and then they go into then they go into KU, UCF, Illinois, and Kentucky. Which is the first week of the season. <laughs> Wichita State really lost its luster when you don't have Mrs. Marshall screaming at you from the sidelines, right? Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. The Blues are back in action tonight. They play the Blackhawks at United Center. We'll have the pregame for you at 5.30, action at 6.30. And if the Blues can pick up victory number four in a row tonight at Chicago, all of a sudden the standings look a little bit better because right now the last wildcard team is Calgary. They have 16 points. The Blues are sitting there. Yeah, they only have 12. Only one team in the Western Conference has less. But you win tonight, you jump Vancouver and Arizona, and then you win another game and you can jump San Jose, Nashville, and Chicago, and all of a sudden... You're in the playoff hunt. So you need to extend this winning streak to like eight games. You're right back in it. Yeah. The record right now does not look terrible. Six and eight. I mean, when it was three and eight, Randy, it, it was, was it was whew, it looked like we were a long way. Like we were trying to climb out of a hole and we could not see the the the, the light at the end of the tunnel. We were we were struggling. But now you get three wins in a row, you're playing better. Guys are starting to step up and do things that you've been wanting to see so far off all this season so far. And and so 
I'm excited that they are. They have an opportunity to go against the Chicago Blackhawks team tonight. Did you see the tweet from the um, the, the what's Scott the guy? Darling. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what, what was that about? Uh, apparently, he has become a comedian. Is that what that is? Yeah. Now he he was a backup for the Blackhawks. wasn't great, but signed a big contract with Carolina and did actually get a no trade. And I guess he had the Blues on his no trade because for some reason he doesn't like winning or didn't want to deal with the pressure. Mm. Of, uh, of winning, so he decided to get a, a no-trade clause, and he got it. But then he ran into some personal issues that kind of knocked him out of the league. Ah, so I guess that sucks for him, huh? Yeah. Not does. so much. Yeah, yeah Thank you, Kelly Chase, by the way. Ah, shout out for, to Kelly Chase. Yeah, defending, defending the honor of <laughs> hey, St. Louis. If you got somebody that you want to defend your honor, I think He's Kelly Chase guy. is high on the list. Yep. Did he start that comedy <laughs> career concurrently with his hockey career? Because I, yes. I saw him attempt to play. Uh, yeah, it was, wasn't great. It's not great. Uh, no. Had like a four-game run in the playoffs one year when Corey Crawford was really struggling. Yeah, and... Uh, Good luck on the comedy career, by the way. <laughs> College football rankings stay the same. Georgia number one, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, and Tennessee round out the top five. Ohio State and Michigan will not play this weekend, but the following weekend. And there's LSU lurking there with two tough losses at number six. LSU and USC. You yeah. talked about USC um, yesterday, I believe, yeah, and just talking about how well they are, how well they're playing they may be the team that, that is able to sneak in and slide into that, that number four spot. It's going to be I, – I, I just hate that that we only have four teams. Yeah, me too. I, I'm still – you know, I've been on this on this bandwagon for a while. Hey, we need to have more than four teams in because there are more than four good college football teams with an opportunity to win a championship. And there's going to be some good teams left out again this year. If Division two and Division three are doing 32-team tournaments, you it's ridiculous it. that yeah. there isn't at least a 16-team tournament. For Division One, Buck Showalter of the Mets wins his fourth Manager of the Year award with four different franchises. Terry Francona of the Indy of the Guardians gets his third. I hadn't done that in a while. <laughs> uh, he, he gets his third and an XFL quarterback draft. And uh, the Battlehawks have their quarterbacks for 2023. AJ McCarron and Ryan Mill w- Ryan Willis will hear them in their own words next. In the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Wow, I'm telling you, quarterbacks, you get all the good-looking <laughs> women. Ah, it's a, what a beautiful woman. Wow. He's, AJ's doing some, some things right down So if you're a youngster in Alabama, start getting the football out and throw it around the backyard with pop. <laughs> That's Brent Musburger many moons ago when the cameras caught Catherine Webb at the time, Alabama quarterback A.J. McCarron's girlfriend, now his wife. They have three children together. And yesterday, A.J. McCarron was selected by the St. Louis Battlehawks to be one of their quarterbacks in the 2023 season. Kerry, you, you have a better eye, obviously, for football than I do. I always thought... In college, when he got drafted, I thought McCarron profiled as a really good pro quarterback. Yeah. What do you think? What What did you think? And what do you think? I, I felt the same way. I felt he was a guy that, you know, given the opportunity in the right place, right time, he would be uh, an elite quarterback in the NFL. I, I I thought he did a great job at Alabama, which he did. He won three national championships, um, and and just a very good football player uh, coming from a very good football system. 
and you mm-hmm. you want those guys on your on your roster. Um, but sometimes it's about going to the right place in the league and and getting that opportunity. And it, it doesn't seem that he he was ever really given that opportunity to right. to succeed or excel. Um, and so now he has an opportunity in the XFL, which you know for all intents and purposes. All, all intents and purposes is to have an opportunity to go back to the NFL at some point. I, I believe that the XFL wants to use this as a kind of a, a a minor league, so to speak, for the for the NFL. And they have a very good product. They had a very good product here before. And when we talked to him yesterday, when he when we were on the interview with him, he talked about. Um, Taylor Heineke and P.J. Walker having opportunities to play in the NFL coming from the XFL. So, you know, it's definitely a, a anytime you can get in a league and get good film around good uh, other good players is going to bode well for you. Yeah, that's exactly what McCarron was thinking when he decided, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try out with the NFL or XFL. Just an opportunity to get back playing. Uh, coming off ACL last year and um, I've been healthy for a while now and had some really good workouts and from a contract standpoint for whatever reason didn't work out um when i thought it was going to but uh i think it's just a good opportunity to get back to playing football get some film back out there um i still have quite a quite a bit of uh years left to play and um and then from a choosing the the battle hawk standpoint it was really with talking with beck for a while um, back and forth, and then uh, getting in touch with Bruce and kind of, you know, uh, meeting with Bruce and, and figuring out his mindset on offense, offensive scheme, and then really us just spending a lot of time together um, over the past couple months from a Zoom standpoint and uh, and putting this offense together and something that we, we think we're really going to be uh, good at and our fans will enjoy. Becht, obviously, the head coach of the Battlehawks, Anthony Becht, and Bruce is Bruce Gregkowski, mm-hmm. the offensive coordinator. If you surround a guy like that with the right players, I, I would think that it can be a pretty compelling product. It's, I always thought in the, for the incarnation that we had here in St. Louis, the Battlehawks, the competitive level was good. Was the quality what the NFL is? No. It's the difference, Kerry, I thought, between the guy that runs the 4-6 and the guy that runs the 4-3-5. The, the guy that runs the 4-3-5 is in the NFL. The guy that runs the 4-6 is in the XFL. Mm-hmm. But the, the XFL wide receiver that's running the 4-6 is going against a corner that's also running a 4-6. Correct. Yeah, it's uh, it's and sometimes Randy, you might have a guy that runs a four three. You might have yeah, those guys yeah. that are that talented, but can't figure the other intricate details about being a professional football player out. There are some really good football players that get looked over, and, and they want to have an opportunity. For for my time, it was going to the CFL or NFL Europe. Uh, now you have the USFL, you have the XFL, you have other venues, other avenues that you can use to try to show that you deserve an opportunity to play. And and let's be honest, sometimes scouting departments do get it wrong. Sometimes mm-hmm. they miss on guys that are extremely talented and they need an opportunity to go somewhere and be able to be seen. And this is a great opportunity for AJ. It's a great opportunity for Ryan, uh, for all of the players that will be drafted, that, that, that did get drafted yesterday and that will be drafted going forward. Just an opportunity to play football and have people scout and watch you and see you play the game is always good. I would argue that no fan base in the history of the league has benefited more from scouts overlooking a guy. 
oh, than yeah. the St. Louis fan base, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. There's a quarterback <laughs> here that was uh, pretty outstanding for for a time. He ended up being a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's, he's pretty, in the Hall of Famer. He's pretty good, I think. Yeah. I, I think he's pretty good. Now, one, th- one cool thing about A.J. McCarron is that he's heard of Battlehawks fans. Kaka. I watched it when, um, you know, the Battlehawks were there a couple years ago. Um, and to see, you know, the support that that city had, you know, for the Battlehawks during that time was unreal. I, I know they – I think they averaged uh, more fans there than anybody else in the XFL. So um, I'm excited for a city that, you know, loves football, has passion about football. You're getting somebody that uh, – competes their ass off and, and has a lot of a passion for it, for the game too. And I, I want to win more than anything. Now, McCarron is 32, so he's on TV. Why, why keep going? Well, really for me, it was uh, just getting back to playing. But uh, listen, I have three boys. Uh, my oldest is six, my middle one's three, and then my youngest is a year and a half. So um, my oldest, I, I've been able, blessed to, coach him in all-star baseball and then flag football this year to school. And he, he slightly remembers, you know, last year and, and previous years uh, of watching his dad play. And he's getting to that age now. He knows how to work an iPad like no other and look up YouTube and watch highlights and everything. So um, he, he really wanted to watch me play. And uh, I just felt like this was a great opportunity. And then from the aspect of what I bring to this team, listen, I, I've been, a, like I said, uh, I've played football for a very long time. I've been a part of great programs and organizations that have won a lot. Uh, I've been blessed to be uh, on teams that have won a lot of championships. So there, there's nobody that's going to be out there that hates, you know, losing more than me. So I, I, I definitely know how to win and how to get the best out of the, you know, the rest of the guys around me. Now, the other quarterback for the Battlehawks is Ryan Willis, played at KU and was a really solid prospect, big, strong guy from Kansas City, his path to the XFL. It's a crazy ride that I've been on the past couple of years. I was just texting my buddy, Hendon Hooker. He's quarterback at Tennessee now. He's like, hey, man, proud of you. Like, you never gave up and all this. I was like, hey, man, we got a different route, but we're going to the same destination. Um, this is a great platform for guys like myself to get more experience and more film out there. Because um, the end all be all is we want to get back to the NFL. And there's a lot of talent in this room. I'm surrounded by a lot of great quarterbacks. And it's really competitive. And the XFL is a great opportunity for all of us to showcase our talents. So a couple of years at KU, a couple of years at Va Tech, and now on his way to the Battlehawks in the XFL. I like his mindset. Uh, he, talking to Hendon Hooker, who we know is is more than likely going to be drafted early uh, in the spring of 2023. We, we we got the same place. We're going to end up at the same place. We just got different paths. We got different mm-hmm. routes to get there, and and he understands it as well. Even though he's he's probably slotted to be the backup, um, you you would think he's going to work his butt off and try to earn a starting spot. So. That in in itself, those are are tend to be good football teams. When you have guys competing for spots, for opportunities to play, um, and and no matter where you are, whether you're first string or second string, you're one snap away from being mm-hmm. the starter. And so 
I am I am like I said, I'm I'm happy to hear him say that, that he knows we're going to end up in the same spot because we're we're my path is just a little bit different than yours, brother. But we'll be we'll be there together. And C D, congratulations to Caleb Ellaby. Yes. He started all four years at Pattonville, went to Western Michigan, Pirates. was really good there, and also was in the camps of the Saints and the, the Seahawks this year. And Caleb Ellaby's a really talented guy. And hopefully he gets an opportunity in the XFL with Houston. I think he was the only guy they drafted and only quarterback they drafted mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully he is able to achieve success there because yeah. he's a really talented young player very very talented player and hopefully this is an opportunity like I said sometimes you get overlooked sometimes um, you you got guys that bypass you for whatever reason so now you get a chance to go put it on film and show people as you said as I said earlier PJ Walker made it yep. Taylor Heineke has been there uh, Tiamu was there with the with the Chiefs as a backup role you have a you have an opportunity to make a name for yourself in this league and then be able to go to the NFL if you do the, do it the right way. So congratulations to the Battlehawks. Coming up, it is Wednesday. It is Hump Day, and that is Ask Uncle Randy Day. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. You can also send us a mic drop if you'd like. If you have a question that you'd like to use your own voice with, feel free to do so. Whatever you've got going on, we've got holidays coming up. They can be a stressful time. If you need some advice on a stressful time, feel free to ask me, Uncle Randy, next on one ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Got a question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 65780. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. Service text line. If you have a question for Ask Uncle Randy, you can also, if you so desire, leave us a mic drop with the mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. And Carrie and Matthew, one thing that I have forgotten about that what does work, ask Uncle Randy at 101ESPN.com if you want to use the email machine. You can do that oh, too. So, another way. I'm ready to answer questions. Hey, we're, uh, we are a, a week and a day away from Thanksgiving. One of the best holidays. It's uh, terrific. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you top, top, I mean, this is, no, nah. Well, you eat, listen, Rob, we're not going to go back down this road. You eat mac and cheese with a spoon. So mm-hmm. it, you're, it may not be one of your best holidays. Can it is a, one of can mine. Can I use a spoon to eat stuffing? Uh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you need a fork. Yeah. We got to listen, so Christmas is around the corner. I think we should do a little gift. Uh, gifting for for rock, maybe some some yeah, silverware. I think that's a good idea. Maybe we show show him how the the silverware works. Through, that's a really etiquette. good idea. Yeah, like we we have a video, a, a, some type of session to help rock. Like, come like on, miss man. manners kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> Get your yeah. elbows off of the table. Like, come on, yeah. Rob. By the way, should we do a uh, <laughs> next week, one week from today? Should we do a Thanksgiving sides draft? Oh, we can do that. Okay. Are there enough sides, though? Oh, yeah, we can come up with okay. 15 sides, I think. Well, there's one I don't want you all can have. Okay. Ugh. And there's several that I love that you guys probably won't choose. All right, what do we got on the old text line, Matthew? Ask Uncle Randy. We got a lot of good stuff today. Okay. Get, I'm getting married next year, and, the, and my fiance keeps telling me whose parents are supposed to pay for what when it comes to splitting the bill for the wedding. Whose parents are supposed to pay for what, and what are we supposed to take care of? Okay, tradition is that the bride's parents do we paid for our own wedding uh it it really it, it is 
a very individual thing. And I think a lot of it, guys, depends on your age and how much money you've made yeah. and your parents' age at yeah. the time you get married. Yeah, it, it, The finances uh, definitely play a big part in it. And I will say this, Randy, if, if, if you are using other people's money to do something for you, then you may fall... You know, to to what they want as opposed mm-hmm. to what you want. You better and expect so it. You you there are going to be some things that they some must haves that they may have on their on their list of demands, mm-hmm. and you may become frustrated. So, figure out what is the best way, the best solution. From you know, if you don't have enough money, if they have the money. Figure out the best solution to where they cannot, I guess, take over your day because it is your day. Mm-hmm. You and your your fiance is y'all day. You all make the most of it, make the best of it. Um, and and figure out the best way to go about it. And one other aspect to this, and I know that everybody has to, whatever floats their boat, they have to be individuals. But I think there are a lot of people out there that are thinking more about the wedding than the marriage. Yes. And let me throw this out there and see if you guys agree. Maybe the text line, 65780, tell me if, if you agree. I would argue that you're Rather than spending $50,000 on a wedding, you're better off spending $10,000 on the wedding and $40,000 on a down payment on a house. I agree. 100%. So I'm just, I'm throwing that out there. I don't, uh, concern yourself with the marriage, not necessarily the wedding. And I know girls grow up dreaming of a, a specific kind of wedding. But I think, especially now in 2022, we have a tendency to overdo it and not think of long term. We're thinking short term about yep. that day of the wedding. And spend a lot of money that could be used in other places right. later on in the marriage. More practical things than that actual wedding day, which is one day. Indeed. Dear Uncle Randy, is it okay to count money already given to help set up utilities and such earlier in the month as a happy birthday gift to our son who just recently moved into his own apartment? No, that is not cool. No. <laughs> no. That is not cool. Oh, wow. No, a happy happy birthday <laughs> gift to your son. Nice. I thought that was kind of nice of him. It, it, it is nice, but it's, and it's practical for him, but that's not what you want for your I mean, get him a housewarming gift. Give it, get him something different that he can use with a house. He just moved into a house, right? Mm-hmm. Get him, a, get, get him something that he can use. Get him a waffle iron. That would be better than utilities. Uh, well, I don't know, Randy. Agreed. You got to have lights. You do. And you got to have heat. But he moved yeah, well, they in. They can't cut your heat off now because it's, it's a yeah. certain time of the year. I, I would but. anticipate. <laughs> yeah, right, right. If, if you moved into your own place, you moved in with the expectation and the knowledge that you're going to have to pay for utilities. That should not be a gift. I don't. Now, it's it's not a bad gift. But if that's all you're getting him, rather than getting him something that would be useful for home life, well, I don't think that's the way to go. Get him some. You, get it's something me- well i guess it would be maybe memorable this is the problem child though maybe this is the child that finally got out and you finally you know hey son we just paid your rent mortgage what do you need like adulting is is part of being an adult yeah it is but <laughs> he should have that plan too i i i believe if you move out and you move into your own place you should actually anticipate paying for those utilities. Now, obviously, Help him out. If, if mom and dad are paying for the utilities, that's money that he can spend on something that he there. likes himself. There you go. But I, I would just, as a gift receiver, I would like to have something where when I use it, I say, oh yeah, mom and dad gave me this for my birthday. So I always think of that. Yeah, I agree. 
Oh, Randy, what should I get my wife for Christmas? She's expecting our first child in February, and I want to get her something special. P.S. She doesn't mm. wear jewelry. Okay. First mm. child coming up in February. Okay. Um, there's a lot of things that she'll like here. You can never... And Carrie, you've been through this with... Uh, a woman that recently that, that had a baby when uh, uh, they love blankets, right? Mm-hmm. They, they love to be able to stay warm and, and keep the baby warm. Um, February. So we're around Valentine's Day, too. I, I would say because there's going to be and you'll see this an incredible connection between mother and baby think of it in that prism, whether it is a blanket that she can have or you know what my wife absolutely loved was the Lazy Boy recliner. And man, Lazy Boy makes great stuff. And for both of our kids, that was like their main spot when she, when they were babies and she held them. If she doesn't have a great recliner or you don't have a great recliner for her in the house, I think that'd be a terrific gift. I like that idea. I was thinking bigger. Like a nice vehicle, SUV, something oh, to yeah. be... To drive for you and your 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 wife and your child to be protected in, it. I mean, if you if you want to go that route, yeah, I'll tell you, it's a great point because if you have two door vehicles and oh. you're, you're bringing a baby home from the hospital, Randy, it's no, it, it, it's not the way it to go. Awful, yeah, you, you, you definitely need four doors. Yeah, you, you gotta and, absolutely. And, yeah, you so want you, your your suggestion is yes. a good one. That is good. On the flip side, dear Uncle Randy, I gave my I give my wife of ten years jewelry from Tiffany's for Christmas every year. Should I ever consider changing things up? I don't know if she likes it, but if she likes it and she smiles about it and the response is good, then don't stop. But you know what'd be fun is if you give her things from Tiffany, and there's a Tiffany right still up at Frontenac, right? Believe so. Yeah. It, yeah, so it, and it's for Christmas that he gives her the the yes. Tiffany stuff. It would be fun. Is you should do this some morning, just to make it special and memorable. Go over to the Bread Co. over at uh, Frontenac and pick up, you know, some croissants or something like that. Some, and go take it over to uh, to Frontenac and have breakfast at Tiffany's right outside the window, just uh. like the movie. <laughs> nice. She would never forget nice. it. Nice. And then when it opens, you can walk in and she can pick out what she ah. likes best at Tiffany's. Right, there you go. Randy Hold has me. some sound, Randy sound that, advice. Randy pulled that one out. I, I like out that of one. I, I didn't see that one coming. That was pretty good. Or um, if, hey, if, and if you really want to do it upright, take her to New York and do it just like the movie. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Dear Uncle Randy, what's the best way to keep warm at a college football game? Well, I'm not a drinker. Watch it inside. So, if, if, yeah, true, right. But for example, if you're going to the Mizzou-Arkansas game next week, first thing you do is you don't want to sit on those metal bleachers. So you either bring a seat cushion or you rent one of those seat cushions that they have. And then the other thing you do is you you, you dress in layers. This is depending on how cold it is. My, my most recent games have been either in warm weather or in a dome. But dress in layers, and then the other thing is, is bring a, a nice, soft, warm blanket to put on your lap. So, 
me being a high school coach, it, it gets very chilly. And, and so when you're playing, you know, my mom used to tell me this. She was like, you have no clue how, how un, unbearable some of these mm-hmm. games are to sit in. So what I learned is I have these boots. They are Nike boots. You can find them online. They, do, they are water resistant. They do not allow any cold. Your feet don't get cold. You can wear normal socks. You don't even have to put on like the, the thermal socks. Mm-hmm. Your feet stay warm for me. If my feet and my hands sold, yes, okay, yes. So my feet and my hands, you have to start there. Keep those warm. If you keep your feet and your hands warm, and your and and you keep your head covered, you're in a good position to start. Now, as you said, a blanket on the bench is always beneficial because that bench gets really cold, and and layers. But start with the shoes, right, and the gloves. Feet, hands, feet, hands, head. If you start there. You're okay. Yep, I, I'm. I have a pair of Eddie Bauer boots, rubber soled boots. Mm-hmm. That, that that's another great point because you're going to be standing on or sitting where the the floor is cementing yep. cold. Yep, and you want to keep those those feet warm. We have a fairly sensitive one. Do you want to, you want to dive yeah, into this? Yeah, let's do it. All right, fine. I, I changed up some of the wording. Okay. <laughs> Me and my wife have been married for eight years, but we have not been intimate in the last three. Mm. Do I keep? Go, do I try to fix this situation, or do I find something else outside? <laughs> Okay, not a laughing situation. I'm not laughing. I'm laughing at Randy. This starts with communication, all right? And my, I, I would start with this. I, I would say, uh, and make it about you. I, I think that it's really important in our relationship or in any relationship, any marriage, to have intimate moments and an intimate relationship. And... Find out if it's something about you. Is it me? Is there something that I can do? And if that doesn't work, then I would absolutely suggest finding a therapist. And there are some wonderful therapists in the St. Louis area. All you need to do is go to Google and ask her if she would consider going to couples therapy to find out where the problem lies. Because you are correct. Eight years into a marriage and you uh, have not had intimate relations for three, that's a problem. And uh, that intimacy is what brings you closer. So absolutely, I I would start by trying to communicate. And if you already have, and and by the way, don't make it about you or or don't make it about her. Make it make it about you. Say, I, uh, I want to be closer to you. I want to have this relationship why are we not and see if you can get an answer to that and then i would absolutely follow up with with therapy and uh it's not a bad thing i know that a lot of us males in america say oh no therapy no but it uh, it will be ultimately hey it could save your marriage so that's uh, that's the the serious part of it uh the the less serious part of it is hey take care of yourself and that's why I wanted to bring it into uh, Ask Uncle Randy because was, it's sensitive. But listen, he, the guy texted him because he's obviously having yeah. a tough time, and Randy Carricker has got the answers. No, and, and uh, that's hey, that, that should that's part of being married, and you you shouldn't be living uh, without intimacy. Three years is a very long time. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. Uh, thanks very much for your texts. We do appreciate them. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, more text 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carrie, Matthew, and Randy on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 65780 and give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final author. Take it or leave it. Carrie Davis, Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker. Time for Teoli on 101 ESPN. It's great to have you with us, and uh, let's get things started. All right. Uh, take it or leave it, Carrie Davis. Aaron Rodgers says, and you've mentioned this, it's time to go all grass on NFL fields. Take it or leave it, it's feasible with the multiple dome stadiums, especially in cold weather sites in America, to have grass on every field in America. I'll take it. I, I think that... As I said yesterday, that playing on that surface, uh, granted, it's much better than the, the AstroTurf we played on in the, the 90s, the 80s and the 90s, um, because that stuff was terrible and it burned like hell, if you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the grass, the natural grass, it just gives a little bit more. This this turf that we play on now, this field turf, is it's softer, but it's still concrete underneath. And, and when you, I've told people this multiple times, getting tackled is not bad. Like, getting tackled is part of it. You're running into another body. That body gives a little bit. Hitting the ground is when you realize, mm-hmm. oh, this hurts. And you get up, getting down, getting back up, get down, get back up. Hitting the ground is the part that hurts the most. And if that ground is a little bit softer, uh, it'd be a little bit easier on the, on those guys. Bodies. I just wonder in Minnesota where it's not a retractable roof, Detroit where it's yeah. not a retractable roof and you don't have sunlight to grow grass, I just wonder if it's something that – if there is now a mechanism to grow grass without the grass oh, being outdoors. There's, there's enough intellectual people who can figure out a way to put some sod down, have it grow, stay healthy, water it, get some artificial sunlight if need be in there to keep it, you know, keep it nice and maintained. I think they can figure some things okay. out. Okay. I think so. So, so Randy, you were talking about uh, Buck Showalter earlier today, and he won his fourth manager of the year. You mentioned to me that he has won it twice, and and been he's been fired twice, and the team has won a championship the year after he was fired. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. If a manager gets fired and that team that he just got fired from wins a championship next year, he should get a ring as well. I'm going to absolutely take that. Because I, it, it brought to yep. mind Mark Jackson with the Warriors, Tony yep. Dungy with, exactly. the, with the Buccaneers. Yeah. Like, you orchestrate this offense, this defense, this team. You construct it. You get fired, and then they win a championship yeah. the next year. And it, especially with Arizona, because Showalter had built that team from an expansion team. Yeah, yeah. And he gets fired after 2000. They win in 2001, and then he got fired by the Yankees after 95. Joe Torre comes in in 96, pr- pretty much takes his team and goes to the World Series. Absolutely. Yeah, he, sh- he should have gotten rings I'm for this. I'm trying to think if there are any other coaches that that has happened to. I'm sure there are. Where, yeah. where they get fired, and then the, the team wins a championship the following year. That, get that man some jewelry. Yeah. He, he put it together. No right. doubt about it. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the tech 65780. Matthew, what do we got? You saying Jimmy Johnson should just have one extra ring? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a good one. I'm, yeah. just, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> sure. All right. Why not? That makes sense to me. Or, or get fired it. midseason. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Does that mean Joe Girardi would have got one had the Phillies won? Yeah. I think he does anyway. <laughs> Hope so. Yeah, he's like a player. If you yeah. stack up enough games with the team, you're good to go. You get one anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> take it or leave. The Minnesota Vikings win a playoff game this year. Take it. Yeah, take it. They're going to have a home field. They're going to have a home game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if they keep winning and, and Philly loses another one, they may have home field uh, throughout. Yeah. So, so is, is there only one bye 
Was that what yep, the way it is Seven teams, yeah. one team gets a buy. Right. So weird. weird. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I I'm get not used a fan to that. Like it. Yeah, I don't, I'm still don't like that. Um, the current version of the Blues and the Blues that won the first three to start the season, those are the real version of the Blues. Take it or leave it. Well, that, this is the healthy version. Yeah, you got to take it. This is the version you're you're going. With. I mean, you you got to take that because they're winning. Like, mm-hmm. why would, you don't want to take the the version of the team that they're all lost in a row? Yeah, That's right. Alex Ferrario uh, threw this out yesterday. They're six and two with Brendan Saad, zero and six without him. There you go. I mean, I'm just saying. It seems like you get the healthy, like say, you get the healthy roster, you're pretty good. He's, he's, the, um, he's the key. He's the nucleus. He's the MVP. the healthy roster, this texture uh, wants to make a move. Take it or leave it. Vladdy in a pick or two for Taves and Kane. Uh, interesting, but uh, the Blues don't have that extra thirty million dollars in cap space <laughs> also, or whatever. Just, just have, do you have no sympathy for the cab drivers in this city? Come on, mm. like, like they're, oh, they're people out there. <laughs> no, no. What? <laughs> What? Come on, don't uh, don't be do- doing that to those people. Come on, have some respect. That's what I'm saying. I mean, come on, these they're, they're, they're doing the yeoman's work. <laughs> so uh, got a million? You got millions of dollars? I don't know. Tip the guy a little bit. Uh, are those guys making um, nine point seven five or something like that? Is that it? Ten million? So twenty? So they'd only need an extra what? Thirteen million in cap space. Yeah. Uh, again, any. And by, by the way, both have no movement clauses. I can't imagine that they they would want to come to St. Louis. Oh, I was gonna say, you think like Darling, they're they're a big fan of St. Louis. Yeah. Um, Taves is at yeah ten point five million. And the, okay, pay. and they're identical contracts. So yeah, exactly. total so, twenty two so million dollars. Twenty one million dollars. Yeah. But yeah, that's not that's listen dollar in dollar. If you want to do a blues trade and you want us to not make fun of it, very first thing you have to do is make a dollar in dollar out because yep. that's just the financial facts of it all right now. Here you go, Carrie. Take it or leave it. Mizzou football will be ranked higher than ILL football before the end of the season. Oh, leave that. Leave that. What's their record yeah. now? What's Mizzou's record? Did you fall? Uh, four and six. Yeah, they're four and six. <laughs> the yeah. rock, rock disappeared for a second. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you very much, Randy. Speaking of that, the Illinois coach, Brett Bielman, next on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the opening drive's fresh take. Brought to you by Schnooks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnooks. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. With former Illinois fullback Kerry Davis, I'm Randy Carricker, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Brett Bielma getting his fighting Illini ready for a Saturday battle with Michigan, 11 o'clock St. Louis time, that you can see on ABC television. Coach, thanks so much for joining us this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Randy. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we're always thrilled to. And teams deal with adversity all the time, and your team dealing with, with back-to-back losses. How's practice been? How has your team reacted in regards to uh, getting ready for Michigan? You know, uh, I think two things. we got to obviously make the mistakes or correct the mistakes from uh, last week's game, uh, players, coaches, everybody involved, and, and kind of learn from them. The last thing you want to do is, take the, the setbacks we've had the last two weeks and leave them in the past. we got to carry them forward, learn from them, uh, put ourselves in a better position. But uh, I would say, you know, Sunday was a mixed bag. It was a little bit of uh, frustration, disappointment. Um, uh, obviously, corrections are never easy to take after a loss. But um, Tuesday, yesterday, they had a really good practice, and I expect more of the same this morning. Coach, that's, that's what I was going to ask. How much is it frustrating knowing you all had uh, a clear path to winning the Big Ten West and now you're going to have to scrape and, and, and claw to get back into it? How much frustration is it for those young men and, and for you as coaches? Well, obviously, uh, you know, the, 
frustrating thing of any time you're in in a situation competitive environment is just to you know deal with the reality of the moment. Um, uh, we really try to focus on uh, what's in front of us each week. As you win more games, uh, people always want to talk about the end. What we try to do is try to stay focused on the now. And obviously, uh, Michigan State was a, a tough game. We had some guys play good football and some guys do some things that obviously uh, cost us defeat. Uh, as coaches, we got to do a better job. And in the Purdue game, uh, just the way it played out, obviously a lot in front of us and. Um, started off good, obviously played some, some good football, but weren't able to close out in the half. I, I did appreciate, I thought our guys competed, um, had quite a few guys step into one of the things that was different the last two games and the first, the, the six games that we won in a row is, is just being able to execute on the opportunities we had. Obviously the, the, um, opportunities that they took advantage of were, uh, against us, but you know, I like this group. I like where they're at. I'm excited to get to Michigan and see where we're at. Coach, you all had a uh, Chase Brown got rolled up late, uh, looked like an ankle injury late in that game versus Purdue. Any update on him uh, for this weekend? You know, um, him uh, as well as several other players are, are doing everything they can to try to get themselves uh, in the best position for Saturday. I do I do know, as you know, Kerry, that uh, the Big Ten Conference, the race, is a, it's a long one. It's one that grinds out. And here at the end, you're going to have to have guys step into uh, roles that, uh, you know, maybe they didn't know were coming. Some of them do know it's coming. The good thing for – for Chase and 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 uh, you know he's been playing a lot of good football over a long period of time. So uh, if we get him back the latter part of this week and get him involved in the game plan, that's great. If not, it's the next man up. Fighting Illini head coach Brett Bielma with us on 101 ESPN. And coach, you've been around long enough so that when you build a coaching staff, you want to get guys that are smarter than you are. And I know you lean on your guys. You have to be really ha- proud of Ryan Walters being a nominee for the Broyles Award, and that goes to the top assistant in the nation. Yeah, uh, it's two years in a row I've nominated him for that award. I, I, I don't know if he made the list uh, of nominees last year, but, uh, you know, Ryan's a very talented coach, a guy that, uh, you know, gets the best out of his players, uh, adapts and adjusts. Uh, this year, especially here the last uh, two to four games, we've been really uh, hit hard with some injuries and, and multiple injuries at the same position, and I think that's the truest sign of a coach is guys that have the backups ready to play, and although they may not do everything right, uh, so it's definitely – uh, a lot of guys doing the right things in the right situations. Coach, speaking of that defense, you all have had some some really outstanding play, uh, especially from your secondary. Witherspoon had an interception that I, I know got called back, but it was a, a great play by him. Uh, J- Jartavius Martin has been playing extremely well also. What are you seeing from these guys, and, and how important is it to have just that solid depth on the back end? Well, we kind of knew going into the season that uh, our secondary has got to be a, a strength for us. Got a lot of experience back there, a lot of good players. Uh, Spoon was playing good football at the end of last year. Uh, Quan Tepley and, and Sydney as well. The guy that's kind of been the surprise. Kendall Smith uh, has really risen to the challenge. And then, uh, unfortunately, he's out for the year now. But we had uh, uh, Taz was really doing a nice job. Uh, he he got injured. His backup, uh, uh, you know, Terrell Jennings, he, he actually came in there and did a nice job and was doing some good things. Had his first interception. And, unfortunately, he was injured, uh, which took us to T-Strain, who – uh, is a redshirt uh, sophomore fo- uh, corner who really hadn't played a lot of football, but uh, he came in was doing some things, and then he actually got a concussion as well. So uh, it's kind of been one of those uh, by committee. We actually put uh, Quan a little bit at corner just because we were running out of bodies, but uh, they've had a good week of practice and got new guys in the lineup and hopefully see where they go. Coach, I'm always intrigued by the college head coach. And by the way, congratulations on the way things are going here in St. Louis from a recruiting perspective. But if you're putting in a 16-hour day as a college football head coach, how much of it is d- devoted to this year's team and how many of those hours are devoted to the next four years' team? 
Yeah, Randy, it's a good question. Actually, uh, as a head coach, you kind of always got to do what's on the immediate horizon and what's a little bit beyond. So um, usually during the day, like we get in here early in the morning, our first staff meeting is at 630. I would say from from the time you arrive in the morning till, till noon, the most of my day is really committed to, you know, practice, uh, uh, all the structures around our current roster. Uh, right after practice, a large part of my day is in on review of practice, but also game planning for the for the Saturday in different areas. Um, but a lot of times, late afternoon, early evening, uh, especially on on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, I'll meet with my personnel staff, and we'll do a lot of a lot of future planning, forecasting, roster development, uh, you know, transfer awareness, uh, update, uh, high school recruiting. Uh, really, during the course of the week and the evenings, there's quite a bit of that, and it literally kind of depends on the time of year, but also on the uh, 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 you know bye week. We do a lot of future planning scheduling, but uh, recruiting is like shaving. You miss a day, uh, it, it, everybody knows it, right? So you you definitely uh, have to put yourself in a in a position to kind of be ahead of the game in a, a variety of different ways. Transfer awareness update that changed in a blink, didn't it? <laughs> it's it just uh, you know it, it's it's crazy. Like literally, especially they changed the rules now. Um, they really structured the portal so that guys can't get in until a specific date and time. Uh, and when that date hits, I mean, it's going to be a floodgate uh, of guys. And, you know, obviously we're not going to recruit all of them, but the ones that you do want to get involved in, they got to be, a, you got to have a good awareness, got to have an idea of who they are and how to get a hold of them in a short window of time. Hey, Coach, the, uh, the Illini haven't played Michigan, I believe, since 2019 and haven't played at Michigan since 2016, which means most of those kids on that, on that roster have not been, uh, have not played Michigan and have not been at Michigan. Have you talked to them about what that experience is going to be like and, and going into there and what it means to have an opportunity to beat them in their home? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, ironically, of our 118-man roster, the only two guys that have played at Michigan uh, are Art Sikowski, who is a transfer from Rutgers, who – who he played at Michigan when he was at Rutgers. And then uh, Chase Brown uh, actually played at Michigan when he was still at Western Michigan uh, before he transferred here. So the only two guys that had played uh, were playing for a different team. Um, in addition to that, uh, you know, obviously uh, our guys, we have, you know, made reference and, and do, re- uh, you know, go back to a year ago when we beat Penn State at Penn State, uh, similar road environments, obviously a different kind of stadium, but, um, this has been here, done that. Uh, it's something our guys have sunk their teeth into. It's uh, obviously uh, a point of emphasis this week. You know, you're playing Michigan at Michigan in the big house, but we're not going there to play, right? We're going there to hopefully win a football game. And um, our guys have prepared very well, and I'm excited where they're going to take to practice today and see where we get for Saturday. Coach, go get them on Saturday, and thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you, Rand. Take care. I-O-L. I-N-I. That is the head coach of the Fighting Illini, Brett Bielma, and by the way, the Illini got a commitment from East St. Louis offensive tackle Brandon Henderson, 6'4", uh, 320, and he has made the commitment to Illinois. So good for, good for Brandon. Good, good for him. Good for the Illini. Yeah, absolutely. Keep winning. Keep going. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, as the Blues get ready to take on the Blackhawks tonight in Chicago, we're going to talk to Bernie Federko, the Hall of Famer, and Bally Sports Analyst is next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com.
Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, getting ready for the Blues and the Blackhawks tonight. 5.30 pregame, 6.30 faceoff here on 101 ESPN. And you can also see that game on Bally Sports. Bernie Federko will have the pregame for you on Bally and joins us now in the Blues booth on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Bernard. How are you, sir? I am fine, thanks, guys. Uh, couldn't be better. Well, we started off with a three-game winning streak, then had an eight-game losing streak, and now a three-game winning streak. I want to know what the common denominator is from your viewpoint in the six victories. Boy, oh boy. You know what? It, it's just been, uh, I think their goaltending has been better. I think there's been a little bit more intensity in, in the wins. Uh, I think the uh, health of the team was better in the, the six games that they won than the uh, eight games that they lost. So, you know, it's the little things. Uh, it's like everything else. There's there's always chemistry on a team when 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 everybody's there. And when, when there's some injuries, everybody kind of gets slotted into a different uh, position, and, and it makes it more difficult. But I, I think it's just a, a better, complete game. And I, and I think they're playing harder for 60 minutes. Hey, Barney, speaking of doing the little things, we were talking to Panger yesterday, and there was a point in the game um, – where versus the Avalanche, where Jordan Cairo took the puck into the offensive zone and and held it down in there, fighting fighting against the boards and not just tossing it in and going to the bench, allowing the teammates to to have a line shift. Those little things are are the things that make a young player that is working his way into to being a good hockey player. It makes those teammates endear you just a little bit more. Don't, do you agree with that? I would I, absolutely. I remember the play very well, Kerry. Yeah, he he held the puck in the corner and and made the change. There was like a three or three or four avalanche around it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's actually Chief's system, and uh, that's kind of what you want to do. I mean, even in the change, you got to put some pursuit on the puck and try to at least uh, get your teammates a chance to get back in and, and really get some sustained pressure. So that's kind of the little things that you learn as you go. And I think Jordan has played much better. I mean, uh, I think there's extra pressure on him this year, obviously with. Uh, the fact that he's got the new contract that's coming in next year, he's also scored a bunch of goals, and he's he's a marked man now. He's a game breaker, and and when you're one of the top players on a team, you get checked a little harder. And I think he's finding that out this year. Uh, you would know that pretty well, being one of the guys, being a star, being being one of the guys that were expected to score goals. How much pressure was he, or do you feel he was facing earlier in the season, knowing that that you know the big contract and and all of the things that were expected of him? There's always pressure, and, and he understands that now. I'm sure he understood that coming into the year, and, and even last year coming into the playoffs, he, he was a different uh, check person. Uh, once you put up numbers, well, he was an all-star last year, and as soon as you're part of the team meeting, I mean, when you're one of the top players, uh, when the other team is having their meeting, uh, one of the things they're going to discuss is how they're going to contain you, and, and I think he knows that now, and uh, he's going to have to continue to work harder on it, and, and he's going to have to learn uh, a lot more things. I mean, it's a 200-foot game. Obviously, I think we've heard that uh, Chief talk about that all the time. Uh, but he's going to have to change his game sometimes. When 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 teams try to check you a certain way, you have to do things that they don't know that you're going to do, uh, the unexpected, so that they can check you. So uh, it's still a learning process, and it's a process of getting better because they're paying you a lot of money. you got to make sure that you, you adjust and, and that you're still the star of the team. So I've been in this business long enough so that I actually covered Bernie Federko when he played for the St. Louis Blues. So okay. as you know, Bernie, I know every cliche in the book. <laughs> With the Blues and the Blackhawks, do we literally throw the records out the window? Do the records matter when the Blues and the Blackhawks take the ice? No, they never do, Randy. We all understand that, that it's a... Uh, it, it is a rivalry. It, it's been there, and it's not just with the Blues and the Blackhawks. I think we can go back to the the old Cardinals and the Ram or the uh, Bears, and, mm-hmm. and go to the, the Cubs and the Cardinals. I mean, it's it's something between St. Louis and 
and Chicago, and it's always going to be there. And, and, and even the bitterness that, that goes on with it, the fun that goes on with it, we can always remember the, the brawls in the stands <laughs> and all the things that, that happen with it. But, no, it doesn't matter. The Hawks are a building team. where They're rebuilding, but they still got Taves. they still got Kane. Uh, they're still going to uh, be up for a game against the St. Louis Blues. So it's a divisional game as well. So, no, they, you can't take this for granted. It's been a great road trip so far, winning in Vegas, winning in Colorado. Now you got to make sure you finish off the trip. And then all of a sudden you come home uh, for some home games and right in your position when you're only a game below 500 and you can get big that. I mean, when you consider that they were six games below 500 and all of a sudden they could be back over 500 by the weekend would be a really, really special thing. But it, it really starts tonight. they got to make sure they're ready to not take the uh, Chicago Blackhawks lightly. It's, it, it is amazing the, how quickly things change in the NHL. The late, great Bobby Plager told me on several occasions that in games at the old arena or at Chicago Stadium, players would be getting ready for a face-off in one of the circles, and they'd actually be looking up in the stands at the fights. When you were playing, <laughs> did that ever? Did, were you ever one of the, in one of those situations where you were watching a fight in the stands as you were on the ice? Well, not when I was on the ice, but certainly sitting on the bench. I mean, it, it happened all the time. I mean, we used to be entertained more by the, uh, the, the people in the stands than by the game itself. So when we were on the bench, sure, you look up, and especially at the old arena when they were they, – well, it was just to seat, seat the uh, Chicago – all the entire uh, fan base would have been sat, sat at one end. And uh, from the upper deck, you could see beer being poured on all the people. But, so, yeah, so we noticed all those things all, all the time. It was actually entertaining for us. Hey, hey, Bernie, was there, what was the most hostile arena you all ever played in, both you know fans and versus the team you were playing? I would say the Black with Chicago and, and Philadelphia, too. Mm-hmm. The fans in Philly were kind of crazy as well. There was always something going on, and, and it was the old days of the rivalry between the, the, really the Blues and the, the Flyers that kind of started things off. But, but, but the hostility, I think, would, would, from the fans would always have been the, the Hawks, and, and that was always something that, um, you know, it was the booing, and there's a lot more booing in Chicago than any, any of the other buildings. When when they announced your name or whatever, we scored a goal or whatever it is, there was a lot more booing than you, than you saw in any other arenas. Last thing for Bernie Federico, we have a thing here on the show called the Panic Bus, and a lot of people were ready to warm that thing up during the eight-game losing streak. Bernie, and maybe this is really naive of me, but I, I'm always going to go back to 2018-2019 with where the Blues were on January 21st of 2019. It, it doesn't get too late very quickly in the NHL. No, it doesn't. I mean, you, you never want to start out with a real bad record because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard climb to, to get out of the hole. But uh, I think it's better to do it early if you're going to have some problems. Have it early, put your game together, and keep building towards it. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, 18-19 was a perfect example. This team was going nowhere in uh, in, in January, and then all of a sudden uh, it turned around. And it had a lot to do with Jordan Bennington. We all know that. And I think that we're seeing Bennington playing the way he did back in 2019. We saw flashes of it last year, uh, but he really couldn't stay that consistent. Well, right now, I think that he's playing that way, and I think this team is gaining some confidence. Obviously, it's a healthier team right now. Everybody's kind of slotted in their position with Saad being back, which now is being back, and I think they're going to continue to play better. I mean, obviously, they're going to play better defensively. Uh, there's still way too many scoring chances that uh, are they're giving up. I mean, uh, it was Jordan, Jordan Bennington, obviously, in the third period the other night. I mean, just kill off a... Five on three for what a minute forty four at the end of the game was unbelievable against the top power play in in the NHL right now. But uh, uh, this team is starting to believe in themselves, and yeah, you, you can't uh, uh, you, you, you can never say that you're going to continue to win and continue the streak. But 
I think their attitude is a lot better, and I think that they're feeling better about themselves, and certainly uh, they can continue to climb the ladder now. Bernie, we will be tuned in tonight. Thanks so much for your time this morning, and enjoy this day. Thank you, gentlemen. You guys have a great day as well. See you later. That is the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico on 101 ESPN. Always good to have Bernie with us. It is. I remember watching him. It was, it's and I used to play the hockey game that, uh-huh. uh, on Sega. And just always, it's, I think it's, it's one of the best parts yep. of this job. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things, it, it really is. I know what Kerry was doing, yeah. dude. Kerry was taking people, like throwing people oh, over, over into the stands and stuff for taking yeah. late shots. Oh, definitely. Kerry wasn't standing for that. Nah, one, of the, one of the great things about 8.15 on weekday mornings is that whether it's Curbs or Panger or Bernie or John Kelly or Joey Vitale, they've been around and seen so much. They have great perspective, yeah. and we do get emotional, and we're on the roller coaster, but they're looking at it from 5,000 feet. Yeah. They're, they're looking at it from an more even-keeled perspective than we are. Definitely. Have a, have a better view of, of what's going on and, and have experienced it you know, in a, in a different level than we have. So they, I, I don't know if, if Bernie was on the panic bus. I, I know after, I think, that, that Flyers game, he looked a little stressed. Out. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if he was ready to get on the panic bus. But he definitely had a look to him like, "Oh my God, I'm this is a, this is a lot. What is going on here?" <laughs> <laughs> We're about halfway through. The fight's coming your way next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight in the red corner, Average Joe Listener. Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Matthew Rocchio, and it is time for the fight. Rock, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, Kerry. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. You Most know? importantly, though, how, how is our fighter doing today as he prepares to face off against Megamind? Well, let's find out. Ryan, how are you doing today? Good. You ready to roll? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. Buck Showalter has won four Manager of the Year awards with his fourth different team. Buck Buck has managed five MLB teams in his career, which is the only one that he didn't win the award with. Is it the New York Yankees, Arizona Diamondbacks, or Texas Rangers? Uh, I'm going to go with the Diamondbacks. St. Louis native and two-time NBA champion JoJo White would have been 76 today. Where did White play his college ball where his number 15 jersey is retired? Was that at UMass, Kansas, or Mizzou? Kansas. All right, Ryan. Michael Harris II became the Braves' ninth rookie of the year, joining the Yankees for a tie at second place all time. Which NL team has the most rookies of the year in Major League history with 18? Is it the New York slash San Francisco Giants, Chicago Cubs, or Brooklyn slash Los Angeles Dodgers? Um, I'm going to go with the Dodgers. All right. And the 2002 draft boasted a lot of quarterback picks, but only one of them ever played at a Pro Bowl, and he was drafted nine picks after St. Louis, the St. Louis Rams drafted Heisman Trophy winner Eric Crouch. Which quarterback from the 2002 draft is the only one to appear in a Pro Bowl? Is that Byron Leftwich, David Garrard, or Chris Sims? Could you repeat the options, please? 
which quarterback from the 2002 draft is the only one to play in a Pro Bowl from that draft? Was it Byron Leftwich, David Garrard, or Chris Sims? Uh, I'll go Byron Leftwich. All right, All right, that is. We have our answers. We Ryan, are now how you feel? Bring in Randy. How you uh, feeling? Not great. Not great. Yeah, you might you might surprise yourself. All right. Yeah, you 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 didn't do as poorly as you may think. The the amount of times that they say not great or they say yeah I did great and they're just they're just they're, it's, it's the never. listeners aren't aren't doing aren't great at gauging their own success immediately in the fight, which we, I think is funny. It's a lot harder when you're actually doing it a than lot when harder you're when you're on it. the air. Yep. Randy, say hello to Ryan. Ryan, good morning. How you doing? Good. How are you, Randy? Doing fantastic. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Randy, here we go. All right, let's Buck do it. Buckshaw Walter has won four Manager of the Year awards with his four different with his fourth different team. Buck has managed five MLB teams in his career, which is the only one that he didn't win the award with. I'm guessing it was the Rangers, uh, Yankees. Maybe it was the Yankees. So he's had Yankees, Rain, Diamondbacks, Rangers, Orioles, Mets. Definitely one with the Orioles. Definitely one with the Mets. Pretty sure he won with the Diamondbacks because he took them to the playoffs as basically an expansion team. So that leaves us the Yankees and the Rangers. Um, you know what? Yeah, I I guess I'll go Rangers because it seems like in 90... Well, he didn't win the division. I'll go. I'll go. The Rangers are the one that he didn't win a manager of the year with. St. Louis native and two-time NBA champion JoJo White would have been seventy-six today. Hmm. Where did White play his college ball? Where his number fifteen jersey is retired? I think he might have been a Jayhawker. I will go with KU. All right, Randy. Michael Harris the second became the second became the Braves' ninth rookie of the year, joining the Yankees for second all time. Which NL team has the most rookies of the year in Major League history with eighteen? It's the team that had the guy who won the first one, and the Jackie Robinson Award is named after. It's the Dodgers. All right, Randy. It's uh, also Tim Crouch's birthday, or Eric Crouch's birthday today. Oh, Excuse me. Happy the, birthday, Eric. What a, what a draft pick by the Rams. The 2002 draft boasted a lot of quarterbacks selected. The 2002 draft boasted a lot of quarterbacks selected, but only one quarterback from that entire draft played in a, any Pro Bowl games. Which quarterback from the 2002 draft, drafted just nine picks after Crouch, is the only 2002 draftee to play in a Pro Bowl at the quarterback position. Third round. So this was not one uh, David Carr. And I I don't have a real good grasp of the draft third round 20 years ago. So I'll use the lifeline. Is it Byron Leftwich, David Garrard, or Chris Sims? I'm going to go with Byron Leftwich. This was a tough fight. I'll admit that right now. This is a tough one. Ryan came to play, but of course, Megamind, always a tough beat. Was it enough on this Wednesday? Did we have a winner on a hump day? We did. 
Well, yeah, we, didn't have, we didn't have a winner on the hump day. I guess the question is, who was the winner on a hump day? You really, really under, undercut my ambiguity on that one, Randy. Thanks a lot. So no more gilding of the lily because Randy just completely undercut it. Who is the winner today? Ring that bell. There it is. Average Joe wins today, and Average Joe is Ryan. Ryan, you beat Randy with a score of 3-2. to two. Congratulations. That means you're going to be coming back tomorrow for round two. Let's get the answers for these questions. Buck Showalter has now won four Manager of the Year awards with four different teams. He's managed five in his career, and surprisingly, the Arizona Diamondbacks are the only team he did not win a Manager of the Year award. Won 94 with the Yankees, uh, 2004 with the Rangers, and then, of course, the Orioles and the Mets more recently. JoJo White did, in fact, play at Kansas, where he has now has his number 15 number retired. Good for him. Michael Harris II became the Braves' ninth rookie of the year. The Yankees also have nine. <laughs> Brooklyn LA Dodgers have 18 different rookies of the year. It's a uh, 14 in the Dodger in the Los Angeles history and four in the Brooklyn history. And then it's David Garrard, who is the only quarterback from the 2002 draft to ever play in a Pro Bowl, drafted nine picks after the Rams just completely wasted their late third rounder. So Ryan gets three out of four. He is the winner in the fight, and he will be back on Thursday so to who, take on. Who drafted Garrard? Um. Did they take a quarterback in the first I, round and the third round? Or did no, they, Leftwich not go in that draft? Leftwich, Leftwich was the next draft. It was, okay. it was the, okay. the quarterbacks to pick for the options in that question were slim to none. No, <laughs> no one else even would have made a would have given you a question. You would have heard Garrard and been like, well, he's the only one who threw more than four passes in his career, so that mm. one. So congratulations on that one, Ryan. You'll be back tomorrow for round two of the fight. Let's go. Thank you. All right. right. Thank you, Ryan. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Next up, we've got a little edition, a brief edition of Rock and Roll before we talk to Mike Martz here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It is the opening drive on 101 ESPN, and the Houston Astros are the world champions. Six days after they won the World Series, they fired their general manager, James Click. And Jeff Passan had a piece yesterday at ESPN.com, a really compelling piece about some of the dysfunction that is going on with the Houston Astros. One former employee said to Passon, it seems like Jim Crane, St. Louis, who owns the Houston Astros, wants to be like Jerry Jones, like he wants to be the general manager of the team. They don't have a general manager yet, yet they're making a lot of moves. Apparently, it was uh, Jim Crane, their owner, who negotiated the, the latest deal that they made with one of their relief pitchers, and agents right now are going to either assistant GMs or to Crane to talk about signing potential free agents. Whenever you have an owner that is that involved in the game, and this includes people like Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder, I look at it, CD, as a negative. It definitely is, and and they say everything is bigger in Texas, including the drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, I mean, you you're just coming off of a world championship. That should be the story that you're speaking about, not about you know all of the other things that are going on. You your GM, uh, I guess they didn't offer him what he felt he was worth. They gave him a one year one deal, year offer, one year offer, and and you just won a super. I mean, a super. You just won a world championship. You should you deserve probably more than a one year offer, but. 
if that speaks to what Crane wants, and he wants to be kind of the Jerry Jones of the of the Houston Astros and 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 the Major League Baseball, that would make mm-hmm. sense as to why you only offered him a year, knowing that he probably wouldn't take it and go in a different direction. I, I look at this and I think about, you know, when when upper management is doing things that is, I guess, frustrating to players or or where you're trying to figure out where they're going to be or what's going on. As a player, you're just locked in on your job. You're locked mm-hmm. in on what you have to do every single day. And and you know, you try to avoid all of the other nonsense and all of the other things that are going on. Sometimes it's hard. But I just imagine Dusty Baker just sitting there in his house with his, with his toothpick like, oh, my God, here we go. But what's going on? Apparently, Baker went to Crane at the trade deadline and said, don't trade Jose Urquidy for Contreras. And Crane listened to him. Click wanted to make the deal. The baseball people wanted to make the deal to get Contreras. And Dusty apparently has more juice, obviously, than Click did because Dusty's coming back next year. And Crane apparently wants to get away from analytics. And Jeff Luno, by the way, was totally driven by analytics. According to the story, one of the reasons that Crane really liked Jeff Luno is because Luno was ruthless and arrogant, yeah. which is a term used by others to describe the way Crane runs his businesses. And Click, by the account of the story, was too collaborative and wanted people's opinions. And Crane doesn't want to have that collaborative nature. He wants to have a decision maker in place that doesn't want to go to other people to make their decisions. I think there can be uh, the the saying too many cooks in the kitchen where you have too many opinions and then you don't get anything resolved. Um, I think as a as a head coach, as a manager, as a in, as a person in, in leadership in a position of leadership, you have to ask other people what they mm-hmm. thought, what their thoughts are. But at the end of the day, if you're the one that makes the decision, you gain all of that information and you decide what is the best option for your team or for your organization. And if 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 he feels that what Click was trying to do was make sure everybody's voice is, is heard and, and let each person have a, a pick and they choose this and you choose, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So I do understand that respect of it, trying to get one person in there to make a solid decision and not have all of the different voices because it can become confusing for the guy that has to eventually make that decision. Two of the voices are Reggie Jackson. How's Reggie Jackson a consultant for the <laughs> Astros? And apparently he would sit in on baseball meetings and actually yell at front office employees after meetings and According to the story, Jackson did apologize to people that he yelled at. And Jeff Bagwell is a longtime favorite of Jim Crane, who also sat in on the meetings. CD, you you mentioned how as a player, you're kind of insulated and you're worried about winning the next game. But I wonder how long this can go on, because people in the story wondered how the Astros were able to win the World Series this year. How, uh, How long can... Jim Crane not have a baseball front office and still expect to win. Well, you got to have baseball people <laughs> making baseball decisions, and so I think when you when you are trying to uh, the, the the amazing part about this is that they're coming off a world championship, winning a World Series, and still with all of the turmoil, with all of the disagreements and misunderstandings, they still were able to go and produce on the field. So something is working correctly. Uh, it just seems as though the other parts of it can eventually and will eventually bleed over onto the field and 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 now you have issues on the field with guys trying to figure out which way is up um i i think that that 
you're, they'll figure it out. I don't like the fact that Reggie Jackson is around there yelling mm. at people and cussing <laughs> people out. Like, dude, I don't care who you are or what you've done in your profession. <laughs> Talk to me like a man and let's have respect for one another. That, to me, is a, is a problem in itself. But hopefully they can figure it out. And, 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 and I trust Dusty Baker to really just be the calming voice. He he doesn't mm-hmm. seem like a guy that gets too high or too low one way or the other. He just kind of goes about his day and it, it all sorts itself out. One of those type of guys. So eventually they will get it figured out, but right now that's a that's a mess that they have going on. And a couple of people being considered for the general manager's job. One of them is Brad Osmus, who was in Houston on Monday and apparently interviewed with Jeff Bagwell, that's the read that people had on the situation. Former Astros player, Ivy League guy. He's been in front offices. He's been a manager at a couple places. And another name that's come up is a former Cardinal front office employee that Luno, Jeff Luno, took to Houston and now went to Baltimore with Michael Elias. He's the, the Baltimore assistant GM. His name is Sigma Dahl, and apparently one of the more brilliant people in baseball. And another name that didn't come up, CD, and I don't know if he will, but just judging by the story, I wonder if Crane will talk to Luno again. Luno has served his year mm-hmm. suspension, and if if Crane liked the way Luno did business, I, I wonder if he, he says, hey, to heck with baseball. I, I want this guy back. But Luno was an analytics type of... He, he was, but yeah. he also... I don't think he... I don't think he cared what Crane thought. That's the impression I get from the story. And Crane kind of appreciated that. Yeah, he's going to do what he feels is yeah. best. And, and so Jim Crane, may be, he may be one of those guys that, that likes and respects leaders regardless of, you know, even if it means disagreeing with me or not going in my, in my direction or my path, as long as it produces wins, it, it should be successful. But then you would wonder why, they, why Click is no longer there. Yeah. And <laughs> there's absolutely a, a place in – any business, any leadership for constructive criticism and reasonable conflict, constructive conflict. But I don't think what I'm reading in this situation is that this is constructive conflict yeah. that they're having in their front office. That that's what, I'm kind of with you. If the, if if the if the big you know headline is Jim Crane is a Jerry Jones like owner and then there's a line later on where it's like well he's a a demanding boss in a good way i'm i'm having a tough time zeroing out those two statements because those are two sides to yeah the same coin but when you flip the coin you're only getting one of those sides and i can't see how it's both you're either getting a jerry jones control freak to a negative way or you're getting a guy who just demands excellence from people and creates a a quality franchise because of that i don't see how both of them are happening now jerry is the gm but i think what they're saying is it's guys that provide every resource to win but it's being done their way and they fancy themselves as guys in the sport whether it's Jerry is a football guy, and he is kind of a football guy, or Crane as a baseball guy, rather than having people who whose life work is to be football or baseball guys. That, uh, just make more of a feel of the game as opposed yeah. to the, the the numbers of the game. He's he's a, he's he's a he's a real estate guy who wants to be a football guy, and that's why the Cowboys have won what was it three playoff games since nineteen ninety six or something like that. Yeah, something like that. They were really good in the nineties though. 
They were. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> well, yeah, when he had given a lot you, of more control to people who were football guys, and and, and when they had a, and, and he got maybe the best football guy ever, and refused to give him the you know the credit card for the grocery store, if you will, and Bill Parcells, and that just shows you how that level of command, when it gets to that level, goes from productive. Demanding boss who demands excellence, like with Jerry Jones, like with Jimmy Johnson, to over controlling and bad. And I think there's a lot to be said. Kerry, you know the Steelers front office very well. I know the Packers front office very well. I know the Cardinals front office very well. I get the impression the Dodgers front office is this way. I know that Tampa Bay and San Francisco and Major League Baseball are this way, where there is a level of collaboration, but most importantly, a minimum of drama. Yeah, you, you, you're going to have moments where you disagree, where guys are standing on the table for someone and someone else is like, no, we, we, he, he's terrible. You're going to have those moments. But at the end of the day, the respect for, for what you're trying to accomplish should always be the main thing. And it seems to me that, you know, they they won a championship, obviously. They're going to have to figure out how to be, you know, cohesive on all levels in order to continue this championship run uh, if that if that's what they want to do. And by the way, I've mentioned this before. Bill DeWitt is involved with the Cardinals on a daily basis. Bill DeWitt Jr., obviously Bill DeWitt the third is because he's the team president. But Bill DeWitt Jr. from Cincinnati is involved on a daily basis, but he knows what he doesn't know. Yeah. And that's the key to being a great leader is yeah. understanding what you don't know. Yeah. Trusting those that you hire to do the job that you hired them to do. Yep. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. Coming up, it's always fun to talk to Mike Martz about what's going on in the NFL. Former Rams head coach, member of the 33rd Team Podcast, joins us next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You're listening to The Opening Drive on 101 ESPN with Randy Carriker and Super Bowl champion Carrie Davis on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Sumner One. Carrie and Randy, and we always enjoy talking to our friend, the architect of the greatest show on turf, Mike Martz, and you can see Mike's and a lot of other people's great analysis and insight at the 33rd team, the33rdteam.com. Mike is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning, Randy. How are you guys doing? Everything's terrific. And I want to start with this uh, because you have a great piece up talking about the, the Kansas City Chiefs and how teams have to be patient to to beat the Chiefs. I want you to touch on that, but also how they have become, kind of like you guys had to do when people started playing that cover too, the patient, the, the Chiefs, I think, have done a really good job of becoming more patient. Do you agree with that? You know, they have in a lot of respects, but they have, uh, when they game plan, they game plan into their plan and compensate for changes in defense, and they just go right to it when they, they see it. That's kind of what we did too. So, Cover two never really bothered us after the first year or two. Um, there, there's some great passes against cover two, some big chunks to be had there. But, um, you know, they can run the ball when they – they just don't want to, you know, but they can <laughs> run the ball when they have to. And uh, they're so prolific in the passing game, a little bit like what we were doing, but we ran the ball a little bit more. You know, of course, we had Marshall doing that. But um, you have to be able to win, win rushing the football or throwing the ball. You, got, you have to be able to convert – to win a game, and uh, they can certainly do that. So why is patience the key? What do you have to do to beat them? You have to figure out their plan for you. 
you know, they do a good job of analyzing, you know, on both sides of the ball and figuring out what they need to take away to win that game, what what they need to do to stop you in offense and how they need to uh, attack you on defense. And, and you see in the first series or two exactly what their plan is. Most teams are like that. And once you get a feel for that, and that's why we, Randy, that's what we used to get criticized for so many plays. But I learned my first year as a play caller, uh, as a head coach, uh, we we're playing San Francisco. They had never played cover two, ever. And they're a blitz team, pressure team. We prepared all week for it. They come on cover two, and uh, we had to really adjust. And I, I said, that we played teams that blitzed us that didn't blitz. So I just said, you know what? We're going to prepare for anything. And that's how we prepared in practice. And and uh, we, uh, we could get to that if we had to. And it saved us at times. And I think they do that on offense. And I think they do a good job of that defensively. He's, you know, he's spags is hard because you don't know what you can get out of him. He, the best thing that he does, he isolates your weakest pass blocker and he goes to work on you. You know, and uh, I think that's really important. The really good defenses do that, you know, with, with uh, games or they try to confuse you a little bit. If you're a little weak at guard, you know, they'll work him over the tackle, et cetera. And they do a good job of protecting the quarterback. They don't just play with open edges all the time like so many teams do. They'll leave a tight end in there to chip him on his way out or a back. And, you know, they're multiple. You know, they do a good job of that. Once you figure out their plan on defense, they'll show it to you in the first two, like I said, the first two series. Then you kind of know what you're going to get the rest of the game and you, you can adjust to it. Hey, Coach, I, you spoke about the adjustments and all of the things that, that coaches have to do uh, during games and the weeks leading up to it. I want to know what your thoughts are on the hire of Jeff Saturday, knowing that he came from the outside in uh, and all of those men that were in that building doing those works that you speak of. What are your thoughts on him being hired and, and how that made those other coaches feel? Well, fair has nothing to do with anything in the NFL uh, from, from a coaching <laughs> standpoint. Once you get into the coaching world, nothing makes sense. It, it, coaches, you used to advance based on how well you did as a coach, how respected you were in, the, in your in your body of work. That went out the door about twenty years ago. Um, it just it's it's it, it bothers me. Um, I think what they did because he's been in the league for so long and they did such a great job. His personality, I, I believe, and I don't know Jeff, but just from the outside in, it looked like they're hiring leadership. That's what they wanted: strong leadership. And uh, and from that from that standpoint, um, I I get that I understand that, uh, but he's going to have to hire two real good coordinators and you know to handle it. You know he did, he's not a guy to get involved with day to day coaching. You know he's this is a traditional head coach. You know and and he can you know help fix things and whatnot. But the technical aspect he's going to leave up to his coaches. Is it fair? Is there other guys in there that should have had a crack at it? Yeah, but you know. This league's not fair, and you know that. No, I, I definitely do know that. I, I'm just thinking of the assistant coaches when you that were there. Uh, you're basically saying you don't think that they're worthy of having or holding that position. Oh no, I didn't say that. No, 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 no. not you, not you. I'm saying Jim Ursay is saying that, not not you saying that. I feel like Jim Ursay would be saying that based on him hiring uh, someone outside of the organization, as opposed to guys that have, you know, been head coaches in this league in the past. I think he just hired personality. Okay. You know, I think he just hired personality. Just like when they hired John Gruden, they hired Chucky. You know what I mean? They won the personality. They won that brand, so to speak. And, you know, when you're – and I, I was in the same deal when I was at Washington. Nobody knew I was even alive or existed there. You know, they you go to work, you do your job, and you just move on, you know. And, and hopefully you do a good enough job where somebody will notice. And that's 
and that that's what that's what assistant coaches do. I mean, that's your they're just a different beast, and you're not going to promote promote yourself. And I'm sure there's a relationship between uh, Saturday and the ownership. And remember, those owners, as you know, this now too, right? They can do whatever they want. It's their team, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's their ball, so they can do whatever the heck they want and. They can do all those things and say they'll do this, do that. But in, in the final analysis, you're going to hire who they like. Mike Martz is with us. You can see his great analysis at the33team.com. And, Mike, I want to touch on a couple of young quarterbacks and one that you recently flipped on at least a little bit, and that's Justin Fields. What have you thought of him over the last couple of weeks? You know, I've never experienced a guy like him. I don't know if the league has either. Um, he's not Lamar. He's He's big. He has real speed, and he's elusive. Um, I think as a pocket passer, he can't make it. He just doesn't have that the mental quick twitch where some guys, and, and color was that way, they, take, they want to see guys come open, you know, and so they measure the throws, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to get into all that, but I just don't know how, how successful he would be in the pocket. Once, he get, once they started moving him out, it's so different because you can take, not take your time. Just things slow down. We have time to find guys. When you're in the pocket, it's time 10. You know what I mean? Things happen so much faster. So they, they were smart by getting him outside on bootlegs and half rolls and, and then letting him take off on third down. And he's a hard, hard guy to play. Now, when he went back into the pocket, after he had some success doing that, he looked better. Is he good enough back there? I, you know, time will tell. I don't think so. My experience is a guy in the pocket, it, he has that, like Kurt had that. You could see it immediately. He could see and react to it immediately and make good throws. He wants to measure things. It, it, and I don't know that he's ever been asked to do that, so he's going to have to do it. Uh, can he get better at it? Certainly. How good can he become? I don't know. But what makes him such a viable player right now is his ability in the perimeter and he certainly is a good enough passer when he gets outside the pocket. So, and that's what they've done with him. You know, now after that Thursday night game, they changed everything that they did. You know, give those coaches a lot of credit for the success they've had with him. And then the other one, Mike, and I watch Trevor Lawrence play, and I say, man, I wish Trevor Lawrence could go to the Mike Martz school of quarterbacking. Well, what's your read on him? And is he a Mike Martz quarterback? Am I right about that? Well, any quarterback, you know. Quarterback, good quarterback comes all shapes, sizes, colors, speed, you know, arm strength. You know, um, Fran Tarkenton, for instance, you know, they're all different. You don't have to be anything to be a good quarterback. You just got to be able to complete the ball, right? Um, I do think that he's a really, really talented guy. I think last year it was so dysfunctional there. It was very hard for him to – I think he actually went backwards. This year with this staff – He's making progress. They got some really good young players around him, and that running back will really help. And I think as time goes on, I think within two years, he's really going to be an outstanding player in the league. Hey, Coach, I want to get your thoughts on you. Speaking of quarterbacks, what's what's going on with Russell Wilson and, and this Denver offense? They seem to be – I mean, that defense plays at, a, at an extremely high level. They are, I think, averaging 16 points allowed per game, but the, the Broncos are only averaging around 14 points. What are you seeing from Russell that is keeping them from winning games? I think Russell's hurt. I think he was hurt and hit it. I think there, there was something wrong uh, for a while there with his shoulder or something – he looked hurt to me. And then the other thing is you can put Tom Brady in there and he looked the same. Hmm. The receivers are so bad. And it's not time they just don't play. You know, you've seen that. You've, yeah. you've, played, you've watched receivers jog around and, 
and not hustle. You got receivers in the same zone. They just don't compete. And you're a quarterback, and you're trying to play at a high level, and you got a bunch of receivers that just don't care. You know, they just kind of – it's a terrible thing to say, but I can't watch them. Honestly, God, I cannot watch the Broncos <laughs> receivers. I have to turn it off because it just, it just makes me sick to my stomach. And uh, I don't know. They let it go. I, I just don't know. I don't know how good they are on the offensive line. I would not judge Russell Wilson at all uh, on, on what's happening. I, I, would, I think he's really a good player. I think he's a victim of some things there that – yeah, I just like you, you coach those t- receivers with a baseball bat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Martz, we always love your insight and what you're doing at the33team.com is great. You and and everybody involved with the site, I learn a lot from it. I've always learned a lot from you, and I always appreciate when you come on with us. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me, guys. We'll talk to you soon. That is the former Rams head coach and the architect of the greatest show on turf, Mike Martz, with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the new Cardinal pitching coach, Dusty Blake, will join us. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. With Steelers Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. The new Cardinal pitching coach is Dusty Blake, and he's with us right now. Dusty, it's great to have you with us on the air here on 101 ESPN. Thanks for your time this morning. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, and uh, good morning to you guys, and I appreciate you having me on. Hey, Dusty, uh, be, prior to becoming the, the pitching coach, you were the major league pitching strategist. What does that entail, and, and what does that exactly mean? <laughs> Man, that's, that's a good question, and, and I've gotten that quite a bit, as you can imagine. So um, I'm not even sure I knew what it was before I accepted it, or up until I was interviewed for it and, and accepted it. Um, you know, basically there's a ton of a ton of inputs that we're now getting into the game with, with all the new modalities, technologies, uh, things of that nature. And so uh, I think what teams are starting to see and organizations are starting to catch on to is like we've got to find a better way to not only organize this information, but have somebody that can really filter through it, translate it for the player, make it more digestible, and then ultimately, you know, make it actionable. Dusty, you spent three years at Duke before you came to the Cardinals, and there are several pitching coaches in the majors that came from the college level. As a matter of fact, one that went back to college. What is college baseball doing that Major League Baseball wants? Why are, I guess the question is, why would the Cardinals want to get a guy who spent three years in college and make him their Major League pitching coach? Yeah, you know, I can't speak a lot uh, on uh, the other vantage points there. If I had to take a guess, though, you know, I would would say if you're a college coach um, and you're working your way up through that system, you're a scout, um, you're you're scheduling, organizing daily plans, you're managing the bullpen. bullpen. Um, Most college coaches are actually calling the game and managing the the defensive shifts. And so there's a ton of overlap in some of the integration, obviously, at the big league level, but where you have more personnel potentially at the, at the professional level to manage each one of these areas. At the college level, you have one, kind, one guy that's kind of doing a lot of things and wearing a lot of hats, and I think there's a lot of 
maybe value at understanding those vantage points. Hey, Dusty, with the implementation of the uh, pitch clock for 2023, how does that change your uh, strategy and your focus for, for guys, especially guys like Adam Wainwright, who have been pitching, seems like forever, and now he's going to have to be on a pitch clock. How are you going to tell Adam to speed it up, sir? <laughs> well, you know, fortunately, in some regard, I'm not going to have to do it because the game's going to teach him to do it. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, Adam's an incredible adapter. You know, you can't be in this game as long as he has without finding a way to adapt to what the game's uh, bringing towards you. And so I have no doubt he'll he'll be uh, incredible at adapting to that as well. You know, I, I do think there's there's a lot of value in trying to keep the pace of the game going. And I think, you know, our guys just getting used to that tempo, you know, we're fortunate to have had a few guys that bounced for, uh, up and down from, from minor leagues that were involved with that uh, experience. And so having their feedback has obviously helped with this progress as well. The new Cardinal pitching coach, Coach Dusty Blake, is with us on 101 ESPN. And Dusty, one of your predecessors, Dave Duncan, always was a great game planner. And that, mm-hmm. at that time, the, the Cardinals had a distinct advantage because he had so many records of what the tendencies of hitters were. But now it's become a cat-and-mouse game, right? Because you know what the tendencies of hitters are, but hitters know what the tendency of pitchers are. In the evolution of baseball, where is that cat? and mouse game right now you know I, I think it's changed a lot as far as again the inputs that we have accessible I think when you when you boil it down though at the end of the day you know pitchers that are great at what they're good at that stick to their strengths that take that into the game and onto the mound and demonstrate that consistently are still going to have the competitive advantage in my opinion and so as we can find more tendencies and get a better understanding of what these hitters are doing. And, and again, the vice versa piece to that. At the same time, pitchers are not reacting. Hitters are reacting. And so we still can maintain some leverage in that confrontation just based on us having a plan and them having to react to it. Uh, Kerry asked you about the pitch clock. And Greg Amzinger of MLB Network is a weekly guest on our show and did one of the AAA games with the pitch clock. And one of the things they observed is that with pitchers not having the 30 seconds to recover to get back to max effort, 98-mile-an-hour guys were going down to 93-94 in a matter of 8 or 10 pitches. Is that something that you've thought about, and does it change the will it need to change the approach of pitchers? Uh, I, I think it could, but it, could, it would be more off the field. So when you're talking about recovery, you're getting into energy systems, and the one primarily used to throw a baseball is, is ATP-CP, which is a quick recovery system. You, you've got three different gears you can work at. One is the oxidative slow, one is the kind of intermediate. Um, and then, again, when you're throwing a pitch, one of the most explosive things done in, in any any sport, um, there is a recovery piece um, that, that comes into play, but it's relatively quick for a lot of guys. So if you find somebody that's struggling to maintain that velocity, a lot of the times it's going to be some work being done off the field to really help that system become more robust at recovery. Who taught you that? Where, where did Dusty Blake learn that, what you just told us? <laughs> well, I mean, again, like I mentioned earlier, part of coming up through the college systems, uh, a lot of times I was responsible for our strength and performance or certainly worked hand-in-hand with that group. And so, you know, fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in that arena with, um, again, per- personally with pitchers I've worked with, and with other really great minds uh, around the country, honestly, to, to have our guys most prepared. I, I don't think as a pitching coach in today's game, 
you can be prepared without understanding some elements to everything that falls under the umbrella of pitcher performance. And so that's certainly one of them and an area that I've, I've spent a, a good bit of time in. So, Dusty, just so that I can clarify this in my mind, I'm concerned about a guy like Jordan Hicks who can throw – a half a dozen consecutive pitches between 98 and 102. With the pitch clock, he should still be able to accomplish that? Um, I think, you know, once the the litmus test of guys going out, performing in that time constraint, finding out what their recovery, what their adaptation is to that, uh, I think anybody should be able to get to a point where they can be a consistent performer with a few exceptions, because as we know, there, there, there are no always or nevers in this game. There are always exceptions. But for the most part, I can tell you that there are systems. You know, We've got an incredible staff um, that, that we have within our, our organization and Lance Thomason and Thomas Knox, where these guys, um, along with our training staff and, and CC and Adam Olson, they, they do a great job of keeping these guys healthy and creating a plan for them off the field. And so what I can tell you is we would be able to address certain lanes within that system to give them a better chance to recover over time. Hey, Dusty, we had uh, Turner Ward on last week, and I asked him this question, so I'm going to ask you, where were you uh, when you got the phone call that you would become the, uh, the, the pitching coach, and, and who, who was the one that made that call to you? I, so I was actually at my house um, spending a lot of time. I've got a conference that I try to run every year to – to help just continue to, to pour back into the education of, of coaches in the pitching arena. And I was doing some things here at the house, planning for that. Uh, that's actually this weekend. And uh, uh, Mo, uh, John Mozella gave me a call and gave me a heads up on it. And obviously I was, I was thrilled. Is there somebody in your career that you consider a mentor, somebody who kind of guided Dusty into the philosophy that you have? Oh man, I, I wish I could narrow that down. Um, <laughs> you know, if you, if you've, if you're kind of taking an approach to this where you want to always find a way to, to improve on things every day, that, that list would be tremendous. Um, so I don't, I don't want to leave anybody off of that by singling anybody out, but I can, you know, I can tell you it's, it's been a really, really cool experience to, to work from the college level to the professional level. And even as, you know, I've, I've come in and joined this, this St. Louis Cardinal staff, you know, each one of these guys uh, has been incredible from, you know, our, our bench coach getting to talk with our, our hitting coaches and Turner Ward about some of their approach and how they're trying to attack us so we can have a better plan in attacking potentially opponent hitters just from, from that angle even. But there, there would be too many people to, to, really, to really single out other than my family and, and being really fortunate to have a, uh, a wife and family that support um, this, this uh, profession because, as, as you know, it's, it's not the most convenient from a time standpoint. No doubt about it. Dusty, a couple more things. Number one, I want to ask about your rotation because for me, and tell me if I'm wrong here, you kind of have five different looks in in your rotation. You have Wayno, who looks different than Miles, who looks different than Mats, who looks different than Montgomery, who looks different than Jack Flaherty. If that group is healthy with the ability, the the pitching ability that they have, it, it seems like it could be a really interesting starting rotation in that regard. Do you agree with me on that? Yeah, there, there's a ton of at least belief in my uh, on my end that providing those different looks are valuable. If you think about, you know, why does OPS for starting pitchers increase, you know, each time through the lineup? It's not that their stuff's changing or they're losing velocity or command. It's it's familiarity. Like hitters are becoming a little more familiar with what this guy does. 
And so I think if you have the the weapon of changing the look and the release and the style of pitching from one starter to the next, I I do think it has a a slight advantage in our favor to be able to show that. And I I just have to ask, because obviously Jack Flaherty, who is potentially a number one, number one, he's shown it. Uh, What were your Mm -hmm. impressions of seeing a healthy Jack Flaherty down the stretch? Uh, You know, thrilled. As I'm sure you guys know, this this guy takes – every second of every day seriously has has a commitment to how he organizes a schedule and what his plan looks like and you know he's he's the guy that's here because he's worked his butt off and been very rigorous and strict about what he does to, to give himself this opportunity and so seeing him work hard through his rehab through his recovery and and be able to you know in his last couple outings look like the guy that we've all seen before and that we know can help us. It was uh, it was tremendous to to watch. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, by the way, that you are younger than one of your pitchers, Adam Wainwright. So that's a pretty cool thing. <laughs> well, I, actually, now he would he would take offense to that because actually he does remind me. Uh, I, I think there's been a, a misquote online somewhere. I'm I'm actually three or four months older than him. Okay. <laughs> he, he doesn't let me he doesn't let me forget it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dusty. Hey, we appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on the promotion to being the pitching coach and uh, as uh, hopefully spring training in the season unfolds, we'll get an opportunity to get together. All right, yeah, that sounds great, guys. I appreciate you having me on. All right, thank you, Dusty. That's Dusty Blake, the new Cardinal pitching coach who not, understands not only pitching but the body, the arm. Yeah, how to how to get your arm back into I guess shape to to be able to pitch that that velocity you know within 30 seconds or or somewhere near it I think it's going to be interesting to see how because we've spoken about it just how well or how fast can those balls come when they are not having Mm -hmm. the same amount of time to recover uh if they have systems in place to to help teach how to get it back in in a in a shorter period of time it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it all goes Carrie, that was Duke stuff. We that were was here. that was some intellectual. <laughs> I, I, I went to the great University of Illinois, the, the highly esteemed University of Illinois, and that was a little bit. <laughs> I played football, man. Right? Yeah, yeah, don't, don't bring Illinois into this. No, Illinois is, is a, a Illinois is an outstanding yeah. school for it's academics. Like a huge dunk. academia, like a big tech, like big tech degrees and stuff like that's a big deal there. Yes. They, get, they, get, yeah. they get transfer students from all over the place, all and, over the world, all over the world. Yeah. And we're glad that we were able to bring <laughs> you Dusty Blake. By the way, if you you haven't heard the new New York Mets director of hitting for their organization is one Jeff Albert. Look at that. Let's see how that works next year. Good for him. Coming up next, Rock and Roll on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Get ready for rock and roll. Matthew, what did you say the name of the team that uh, City 2 is taking on tonight with? Bayer Leverkusen. Well done. Bayer Leverkusen. You know what the funny thing is? Yeah. I, I, I instinctively call it Bayer Leverkusen because that's how I've always heard it pronounced on the European side. Uh-huh. You asked me what company is uh, headquartered in St. Louis Bayer. that my brother works for, and I will say <laughs> Bayer, uh, not Bayer. But Bayer. it's the same. But it's the same. It's the, I mean, that's that's how Leverkusen started. Bayer is a German, co- Bayer, Bayer, however you want to say it, is a German company. But yet I say Bayer when I say the soccer team because it's European. But you ask me where what's going on here, I say 
I just say it just a completely different way. It's weird, but I'm also really excited. That was going to be one of the things I threw out for today. I'm Let's really excited it. to see City Park for the first time. I've I've been lucky enough to to get. Um, two different tours of City Park and you really see the intricacies, you know, the, the the bowels of the stadium and things like that, the locker rooms, things like that. But to get to see actual fans and everything, and actually the one thing I haven't got to see yet is 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 upstairs in the press box. So to see it from that perspective for the first time, from a perspective I'm going to be seeing it a lot over the years, I'm really excited for that. I'm excited for everyone uh, who's been so excited about City Park and St. Louis City to get to actually go to a game. It's going to be a lot of fun. International friendlies are a crazy, weird thing. Like, I, when I first got into soccer, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid were the best teams. And there was a guy on Barcelona named Chabi Alonso. And all of a sudden yesterday, I just see John Hackworth and Chabi Alonso with a St. Louis City and Bayer Leverkusen background behind them doing an interview. And I'm like, this is one of the first players I ever heard of when I learned about European soccer 12 years ago. And now he's just casually in St. Louis doing an interview <laughs> at a game I'm going to be at. It's just the fact that European, that world soccer has now come home to roost fully in this way in St. Louis. I love it so much. I'm so excited for everything. I mean, it's awesome to, to I mean, just the, the amount of soccer fans that are in St. Louis, how much soccer means to the city of St. Louis. I grew up playing soccer, so I, I, I definitely have been a part of it. My son plays soccer, has played soccer. It is, a, it is an awesome thing to have St. Louis soccer here and for St. Louis fans to be able to take part in it. Again, I can't get over that a few, a few like last week, this time. Uh, Bernie Federico was was responding to Carrie like, no, Carrie, we don't we don't need to be that physical in hockey. So I can only imagine how oh, Carrie playing soccer usually yeah, let went me tell for you him. Something. My mother's name is Annette Slack, and so Annette would come to every game that I played in, no matter what, no matter if it was football, baseball, soccer, basketball, <laughs> Carrie, and her ahead. answer was run them over. That was the answer. It doesn't matter what the question is. And that's answer, run them over. Get them out the way. They shouldn't be sta- they should not want to stand in your way. So naturally, when football came along, that was my natural response to everything. There's run them some, over. Get them out the way. Middle school league trying to trying to outlaw running over the catcher 12, 15 years before Major League <laughs> no Baseball question. did it cuz Kerry Davis They're is in the murdering way. catchers. They're in the way. God, you're a monster. If you run them over, Rock, here's what you learn early on in life. If you run Get them over, the they move out the way so then you don't have to continue to do that exactly works out pretty well, well let's talk a little bit about <laughs> baseball Randy character mentioned something and I, I'm just throwing this one out there because in the moment that Jeff Albert has now joined the New York Mets hmm? correct me if I'm wrong Randy one of the things that was elicited as to why he was not rejoining the Cardinals despite them offering him a contract was the outside criticism mm-hmm. had gotten him and now I don't I'm not naive enough to think that's actually like fans and Twitter stuff I think that's legitimately other outside baseball people giving him a, 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 a level of criticism that he wasn't comfortable with. But New York certainly ain't St. Louis, my friend. And so when it comes to outside criticism, seems like a weird decision to put yourself on a more brightly you know, shown pedestal than you were even before. Maybe Mets fans will be more rational than Cardinal fans. Here's the thing. I honestly think that... that New York was a was one of the problems because I have something tells me that the outside criticism might have been coming from the Bronx when they got two different Cardinals who started hitting better and all of a sudden they were like wow mm-hmm. something's going on in St. Louis and he was like you know what I don't really like what people are saying about me but then he just got closer to that franchise I'm confused let me let, let's be clear and be honest here the Mets ain't the Yankees so the criticism I mean you if you're with the Yankees you you Yes, if the Mets are like the Jets and versus the Giants in in in, in New York, <laughs> New York talk. Like it, it's kind of the second franchise of that city. If you're a Mets fan, I'm I, I'm sorry to have to inform yeah. you of this right now, but you should have known that already. 
so going it's the to Giants, the, Knicks, Yankees, Rangers. Those are the those are the one A oh, of wow. the Yankees of the so New York franchise. Jets, they, Nets, and Islanders. There you yeah. go. Oh, it's they, obvious. It's it's, yeah. it's it's obvious. It's a reason for it. So you know he going to the Mets. It's not like he's going to the Yankees. It's not. No. That, 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 there's not too much going to be too much pressure on him. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think so. Ain't no way the Yankees were going to hire him. Also, in <laughs> he, by the way, he's been hired to implement an overall organizational philosophy, just like he was here yeah, as yeah. the Cardinals implemented a philosophy. By the way, we talked to our our new friend of the show, Turner Ward, last week about hitting, and one of the things that John Mozeliak wanted to do, he said at his end of season press conference when he announced that Albert wouldn't be back, was that he wanted to maintain what the Cardinals had started. And by the way, the Cardinals legitimately were surprised when Albert turned down their contract yeah. offer. And I, and I think it doesn't be said. We, 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 we have jokes, but there while there are some players who, whether with the Cardinals or, or away from the Cardinals, expressed some consternation with how things were being done. There were also plenty of guys in the Cardinals organization who expressed directly that what Jeff Albert had done for their career was better it. So I mean it's it's we, we have fun with it, but there there was legitimately, I think, you know, some differing opinions of him uh, inside the organization and obviously outside. Also in baseball, we got a little bit of clarification the other day about Albert Pujols' role with the Angels in his ten year personal services contract. He's gonna work with the Dominic with their developmental team in the Dominican Republic. He's also going to work with young players. I think it's a role we saw him here in St. Louis that makes a lot of sense. But I think the big thing, obviously, if you're here in St. Louis, that you wanted to hear about um, Carpino running the Angels now mentioned that they are going to have a discussion with Albert and the Cardinals about letting him do certain things, but it's not clarified what's that going to mean. So there's still a lot of fogginess about how much Albert's going to be allowed to do stuff with the Cardinals, but we did get at least a little bit of clarification about what he's going to do with the Angels. I think it's a great role for him, and I think it's something he'll obviously embrace um, with what you saw him do with the Cardinals this past year. Yeah, he's obviously a great influence on young players, and having him involved with the Dominican just makes all the sense in the world. I mean, you saw him this year with with. I, I always go back to the relationship with him and Newt. Just the the how Newt Bar kind of you know I don't want to say clung to him, but was there for for a lot of things. And that relationship between an older player and a younger player, and and the way that people revere Albert Pujols just in this league, um, there are going to be a lot of young players that are going to learn some things from him. And he's got a lot of valuable information to share and help young men grow in this game. Yeah, you know why a guy like Newt's you know was like that because. Pujols was the player yeah. when you were a kid. Yep. And so to get these young guys in the, in the DR who have been hearing about this guy as the legend they are, being able to solidify your system, bringing guys from the DR to the majors, that right now is the way that teams are getting free agents, the way teams are getting talent in kind of like a niche. Mm-hmm. It's, how, it's how teams are getting their angle and, and getting over on the other franchises. So if the Angels can do that, maybe they can actually give, you know, Otani or Trout or whoever's there in three years, you know, some, some winning players. And by the way, makes sense for Albert to go down and work with Dominican players because he's dating the daughter of the former Dominican president. Oh, there you go. Spent time well, that there. certainly, that certainly yeah, makes convenient, things a little bit easier. It makes it easier also, I mean, is, can, can you, if you're the former president, is it like a, is it a term limit? Can he, can he run again after getting a little bit of extra know, he's worth little like juice? Upwards of $5 billion, which yeah, in the Dominican mind, probably mind, goes don't, somewhere. Don't run from, yeah, don't, yeah, don't do be president okay. anywhere. If you're that rich, why would you ever want to be the president of a country? Very good question. Right? I have no idea. Unless you're not that rich. 
Thanks, Matthew. I didn't, even, I didn't even mean to say care for that one. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, Danny Mack talking some Cardinal baseball on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Randy Carricker, we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line where Dan McLaughlin is standing by. Dan's going to be here in studio between 3.30 and 5.30 with the Fast Lane this afternoon, which is awesome. Looking forward to listening to that. Danny, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Everything's good. One of the things that we've learned, Carrie, playing football for such a long time, I've been in this business for a long time, is that you want your bosses to surround themselves with smart people. We talked to Dusty Blake, who's smarter than us. Oh, he's a bright guy. There ain't no doubt about that. And when you use the word ain't, you need very smart. So uh, that's why he's in that position. And uh, that's why I'm in the broadcast booth and you guys are doing what you do. But Kerry's, you know, Kerry's in a, he's a coach, you know, he's got coach speak. So he's a bright guy. Randy, what are we doing? Uh, I, I ain't know. Yeah, this is what we do, you know. Uh, no, Dusty Blake is great. Dusty is uh is very, very bright, uh, especially on the analytic side of what, what happens with the game of baseball. And I, I think the biggest challenge for anybody that's in those positions is just trying to relate the knowledge that he has and try to put it in its simplest form to explain it to the pitchers. And same thing with guys that are hitting. Guys that understand the analytics, trying to get it to the players and trying to understand it for the hitter. So that's what the job is. And then it's being able to correct pitchers and go into a side session, look at the video, being able to explain it in its simplest form and break those things down. And if he can do that, which I know he can and has done that, he's going to be just fine. Hey, Danny, we had a head coach, former head coach, Rams head coach, Mike Martz on with us, and he, he, he left us a quote that said, you got to coach those guys up with a baseball bat, talking about the receivers for the Broncos, how, how poorly they're playing. Have you ever seen any guys that you've just felt needed to be coached up with a baseball bat during your, your tenure uh, doing these Cardinals games? <laughs> Not any, I, I don't think you say that anymore. I know that. So good thing that Mike is retired. Um, yeah. If you say that stuff now, boy, you, you, you're uh, you're out of a job. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, I think sometimes it's just guys are, are hard-headed. You know, I, I think it was interesting, like some of the things that Matt Carpenter said, you know, in, in talking. I'm not saying that Matt Carpenter needed that. I, I'm saying there were guys, though, that – they try to tell, you know, hey, here's what's happening with the analytics. This is what we're seeing, and this is what needs to be done. And I, I think what generally speaking, when you have guys that have been in the league eight, nine, ten years, and they see, you know, different things that are happening with how you need to adjust, and they don't, they're hard-headed, that becomes very frustrating for not only an organization or a coach, but for the player, because the player doesn't make the adjustments. And I, I think that's kind of what you get is that when guys have been in the league a long time and they don't make the adjustment, and it does happen with young players too. I mean, young players don't want to adjust because they got to the league doing something, you know, right for a long time. And uh, when I say a long time, whether it be, you know, doing it through high school and then they got signed and then they do it in the minor leagues and they had success in the minor leagues and then, you know, they get to the best league in the world and they don't have success and you have to make the adjustment and they don't want to do it, it's frustrating for them. You have to make the adjustment. And I think that's probably what Mike is saying is that there's just times when you have to make the adjustment and guys don't want to do it. And if they don't make that adjustment, 
you're out of the league. And I think we're going to see that in baseball next year when you have players that have to adjust to the rules and can't do it. If they can't do it, they're out of the league. So we're going to have to see that uh, adjustment made by many players next year. Hey, Dan, we, we used your interview on the day that Matt Holiday was hired as the Cardinals bench coach. And you've talked a lot of ball with Matt over the years on buses and airplanes and road hotels and things like that. How does Matt think baseball? Well, I think Matt is just really good on the human side of things and uh, having been through the ups and downs of the game. And I think he's really good in being able to relate to players. Now, it's one thing when you're a guy that's a seven-time All-Star and a batting champion to be able to relate to the guy that's just trying to hang on. And he can do that. And I think when you've dealt with injuries, too, I think that's something else that is another aspect of being a player that's been in the league a long time that can relate to players that are trying to come back from injuries. So when you've had those kind of experiences and can relate and be on the human side of it, um, that's what makes it a, a good coach. And so not, not always are the best players, the best coaches, because sometimes it came easy to those players. They saw the game at a different level um, and they played the game at a different level. And I'm not saying that I'll give you a great example. Wayne Gretzky saw the game at a different level. Right. Did it make him a great coach? I don't know. Albert Pujols saw the game at a different level. Will it make him a great coach? I'm not so sure. Same thing with, you know, Yachty or Molina. Well, time will tell. But when the, I think what makes guys great coaches sometimes are the guys that had to scrap and grind and the bench players that just were hanging on by a thread and had to find every type of edge and advantage just to hang around. And that's what made them great. Now, Matt was a very talented player, but yet he'll tell you, man, it was a grind at times to stick around and to get the most out of his talent, especially at the end. And I I do think that that's what made him an exceptional player. He was a very, very smart hitter. And I think that's what will make him a very good coach and has made him already a very good coach in talking with guys and helping them individually. We already talked about Matt Carpenter earlier, but mm-hmm. helping Matt Carpenter last offseason, um, he was helping guys this offseason. He was already talking to guys last offseason. He's always texting with guys throughout the season to help them. So that's one of the things that he's really good with, and he's just a really good guy and a good communicator, and I think that's what will make him a really good coach. And we have about a minute left, and specifically a bench coach, because if people pay attention to Danny Mac when he's doing a game, you are thinking ahead, right? You're, you're thinking ahead to the Always. next inning, two innings down. Uh, that's what made Whitey great. That was what made Tony great. That's When Joe Torre went to New York, he said that's what made Don Zimmer great, is that they could talk about what was going to go on two innings down the road. And I, I don't think you can ever have too many of those guys. I know Ollie is thinking that way, but th- that was specifically what I was thinking about with, with Matt. And I would think that being on the bench at Oklahoma State and having to think ahead like that will benefit him. No, no question about it. I mean, you know, when I was, that's one of the great things about having Ali um, as the manager for me and in, in the job that I have. And I know he did this with Skip and we would talk about this before games and after games. And the next day is like, I can go down there and I say, Hey, in the fifth inning, were you thinking about this in looking ahead to the seventh and the eighth? And he'll say, absolutely. And this is why we did this. And this is why we didn't do this because I thought that manager might do this Mm -hmm. and this is why we did it. And we were hoping to force his hand maybe to do this. And so 
that's the beauty of the game of baseball, and that's why sometimes I think you walk away as a fan in the moment confused uh, of moves that are made. And always, again, understand, and I don't know everything that's going on down there with guys that are hurt, too. Sometimes, you know, a guy will go in and they'll say, hey, you may pinch hit in the sixth or the seventh, and they'll go in and start swinging, and all of a sudden they'll say, I, I can't go. I, I just – something's going on with me. I, my, my left side's hurting. My – the bottom, my legs hurting or whatever. And Matt and Ollie will have those conversations. And what's really cool about Matt and Ollie is they're very, very close. Uh, spent a lot of off seasons together down in Jupiter when Matt was playing and living full time as a player with the Cardinals and Ollie was coaching and managing in the Cardinal system. So those two have a great relationship. And I think we'll see that come to the forefront starting day one when those guys are in uniform in spring training. Thank you, Daniel. We'll be tuned into three 30. All right, buddy. See you guys uh, down at the station. You bet. Thank you. Dan McLaughlin with us on 101 ESPN. A great job today by our producer-engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. CD. Thank you, sir. This was great. Indeed. Thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. The whole show is going to be available on 101 ESPN or the 101 ESPN app brought to you by Dobbs Tyron Auto Center. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Splash, splash, splash. Apply a little splash. When your windshield's getting dirty, just apply a little splash. When your windshield's full of grime, bugs, dirt, and snow, just use a little splash and be safe on the road. Apply a little splash When your windshield's getting dirty Just apply a little splash See safely on the road When you apply a little splash GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.